Hello and welcome to the MinMax Show, a good place to forget bad things. I'm Ben Hansen, joined by Jeff Marquiafava. Hey! Suriel Vasquez. Hello. And first time actually on the MinMax Show itself, Adam Biesener. You even got the name right. I'm always impressed. Thank you. Uh, who are you, Adam? So I was Game Informer's PC editor for a decade, uh, almost literally to the day. And now I do other far more boring things, but, you know, I still have a job, so that's exciting. Yeah, hey, it's uh, a real privilege. But yeah, yeah, I mean, long time, you know, PC guy my whole life, uh, strategy guy, Fraxis guy, yes. relevant to the segment, and obviously. I, absolutely, because uh, I think of you as uh, not only the person that went on the XCOM Enemy Unknown cover story trip with myself and Ben Reeves back in the day at Game Informer, which was very exciting, and we got to fall in love even more with Firaxis and all the developers there. Uh, but then at the same time, you got to review Enemy Unknown at Game Informer, and so you're very relevant to the discussion today because we're going to be talking about XCOM Chimera Squad, the new standalone XCOM game on PC. But that's not all, because after that, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, Mario Maker 2, some Nintendo updates. Uh, Serial, you've been playing Guilty Gear Strive. That's right. Hot. We'll get some tabletop recommendations from Jeffum. And then uh, we're going to be joined by Sam Barlow, the developer behind Her Story, uh, Silent Hill, Shattered Memories, Serial. Very important to remember. Not homecoming. Yep. Despite what I say in the interview, it is not homecoming. <laughs> really felt bad about that. Um, but then also uh, Telling Lies, which came out in 2019. It's in some ways kind of the spiritual successor to Her Story, and it's now coming to console. So we're going to talk about basically uh telling stories in this age of webcams now because that is what sam barlow is known for so he's an interesting voice to talk to about this and he also teases uh about his next project which is going to be a horror game kind of a return to some of the aspects of silent hill that uh, he's worked with in the past uh and then for community questions we're going to be joined by uh, a wonderful trio uh, of people, some formerly, I guess they're all formerly of Kotaku, because we have Jason Schreier, we have Maddie Myers, and Kirk Hamilton, who are forming a new podcast called Triple Click. So they're going to join us and answer some questions from the community. A couple things to set the table here. Uh, Mintrax. Uh, Adam, we have a music podcast called Mintrax, and it's hosted by Matt Helgeson. I remember him. <laughs> Wonderful lad, and Good Lord, does that man know his music. Uh, so it's very fun. So this week's episode is, our special guest is going to be um, Mike Drucker, who you might know, He we interviewed him on the Game Informer show a while ago, but he was at the Nintendo Treehouse for a while, like wrote for games like Kid Icarus Uprising, and then went on to write for Jimmy Fallon. Right now he's writing for Samantha B. He's a very funny guy. And so he chose for his album for Matt Helgeson to review uh, Weird Al's Bad Hair Day. And Helgeson chose for him to listen to Steely Dan's The Royal Scam. So it's the matchup for the ages, Weird Al versus Steely Dan, <laughs> this week on Mintracks, which is a standalone uh, podcast feed, so please check that out. Um, and then also a reminder for everybody that Minfax is happening uh, this Sunday. It's our weekly community Q&A. This Sunday is going to be the call-in show. The last Sunday of every month for Minfax, we have a community call-in show, where if you support us at the $20 tier, we'll call you up from the Discord, and you can... Ask us anything you want. Talk to us about games you've been playing, anything under the sun like that. So please check that out and let me know if you have any questions about how that whole thing works. But for now, XCOM Chimera Squad. Um, I've played maybe an hour and a half. Um, so the very earliest stages. Jeffum, how much have you played here? I haven't played any. Great, but you're an XCOM fan and you're a fan of Adam Beesner. Yeah. And then, uh, Sergio Vasquez, how much have you played? played about two hours or so maybe a little farther than you are okay i, th I think it's enough to kind of suss out 
uh, some of like the the larger campaign aspects as well as like how the encounters are different. Yeah. And Adam, how you doing over there? Uh, somewhere around six, eight hours. Okay. I, I really wanted to get through the first investigation and I couldn't quite make it because, uh, well, you get you, you get what you pay for, Hanson. Interesting. That's very fair. Uh, so this is such a weird release from Fraxis. I love their more experimental side things. And the fact that this is standalone uh, releasing on Friday and also that it's $10. And I think like once May 1st hits, then it shifts over to $20. We talked about it, I think, on last week's episode of the podcast. But it's a cool standalone funky experience. But Adam, what do you think about it so far? It's good. You know, it's more it's very much more XCOM uh in some ways but it's clearly been designed by people who have played the hell out of it and who understand the game on a really deep level and understand what makes it fun and how different that still feels like XCOM, but has some different things to it and really focuses in on some of not all of the things that XCOM, excuse me XCOM 2 do really well but some of the things that it does really well and kind of expand on those things yeah, it's a weird thing where uh, just playing it is like, oh, this seems like an interesting game for fans of XCOM and maybe fans of visual novels, which is not, you know, two bubbles that I imagined overlapping. But like the fact that they're emphasizing story more, these characters, it's like, I don't think I want that from X- my XCOM. But at the same time, it's like, well, they've released several XCOM games at this point. Let them experiment. And like the writing is solid. I think it's like fun. And they're trying to play up these characters' personalities a little bit more. Although Adam is grimacing out of the gate. Uh, solid is not the adjective I would describe. And the job I used to describe the writing. I mean, it's fine. Like it doesn't actively offend me, but I mean, it, I don't know. The, the The story is, as always, sort of in the world and in the, in the the sort of character of the aliens that you're dealing with, and now that you have on your squad and stuff like that. Um, and sort of the look and feel of the world is all really cool. Um, I I, I don't want to offend anybody who worked on the game or anything. Uh, but man, yeah. It's just not for you. Yeah. Well, you're in it. You're in it for the gameplay. Yeah. And how do you how do you feel like the gameplay changes have uh, escalated or changed XCOM overall? So there's really the the big, huge thing, two big, huge things. One, you have instead of one big map where you're sort of moving from this area and then you run into some aliens, you deal with them and then you run into this other patrol and you deal with them. And then you get to the, you know, the door that you have to get through to get to the instead of doing that you proceed through discrete encounters, right? And so you'll have, maybe a mission will be two to three encounters. One to three encounters is what I've seen so far. Uh, And each one of those is a really constrained small map with a bespoke map on it, right? And like different, you know, uh, set start positions for the aliens and stuff like that. And so it's, they're kind of smaller, tighter tactical puzzles almost that remind me of more than anything of Into the Breach, actually. Oh, interesting. Uh, If anybody remembers that from the FTL guys, uh, subset games, Into the Breach, game of the year for me, whatever the hell year that was. Uh, but this this feels the same sort of, uh, has the same sort of thing where you're trying to knock out enemies before their turn comes up because it's not I go, you go. It's, it's you know, an, an actual turn order this time per unit. It's all my guys go and then all your guys go. Yeah. And so you're trying to, and you can see where people show up on the turn order. So you're trying to knock out the enemies or disable them or kill them or whatever before their turn comes up to really minimize the incoming damage that you have. Um, so that's interesting. The breach mechanic is awesome. The breach mechanic, like everybody hated in XCOM, not everybody, but a lot of people hated in XCOM where you're going around the map and you, you step over the invisible fence and then boogly boogly, here's six aliens that, Oh God, where, where did they come from? I had no idea. Right. Right. That, 
kind of always felt crappy if I was kind of felt like you were getting ambushed. Well, you get to be the ambush guy now, right? Like, it's you nothing get but ambush. Do- it's yeah. awesome. It's awesome. It's super fun. Uh, it feels really good. Like it makes you feel really awesome when you drop two faceless before combat even starts. Right. Like, and you get different breach abilities and stuff like that. That all works incredibly well, in my opinion. Uh, the second thing that's really different from uh, sort of, we'll call it classic for access XCOM. And there's going to be some nerds who are all about, you know, hating on the for access XCOM and we don't need to worry about them. Uh, but anyway, uh, is the fact that you have actual agents with, instead of just generic dudes or ladies, uh, with classes, uh, you know, sniper and, and shotgun dude and I don't know what I, whatever else there was, assault rifle dude, whatever. Yeah. You have actual agents that have, you know, backstories, which again, kind of suck, whatever, who cares? Uh, but more importantly, they have special abilities. First time I got a Viper on my squad and I used a tongue pole to grab a hostage and get the hostage out of harm's way and complete a mission that was looking dicey like that was really cool it's really cool to use those abilities to solve things a little bit more creatively because in xcom xcom 2 particularly in the early game you have a pretty small number of tools in your toolbox in terms of just what you can do right you flank yeah. dudes you throw grenades degrades cover here you have a lot more things that you can do and that tongue pull is just one up uh, example uh, I saw Jake Solomon tweet. Uh, he said, hey, when I designed the Viper in XCOM 2, I truly had no idea that there was a quote unquote thing for female human snake hybrids. What a world. I don't mind. I'm not on this earth to play goalie. I just had no idea. <laughs> Apparently, there's I mean, a rule big, 34, right? Yes, like... a big community for those Vipers in XCOM 2, which, hey, teach their own. What are you going to do? Uh, Serial, do you like it so far? Uh, I think... I, I, it feels a little bit more of an XCOM made for me in that um, I wasn't as big of a fan of like the, hey, like between missions, you're kind of like trying, you're basically trying not to paint yourself into a corner through the campaign stuff of, hey, you need to manage kind of an economy effectively between missions and like your soldiers and stuff in here. Uh, that a lot of that is very minor where you're sort of just picking which upgrades you want to give your soldiers and like where you want to assign certain people to go like do research and you know like um, make kind of like do like spec ops deals where they're kind of like infiltrating areas without like it being a combat thing yes yeah, a time um, and there's less management of like you can set game when you start a campaign you can set it so that your characters full heal completely between missions instead of like hey you have to manage your character's health over the long term which is pretty wild yeah yeah um and so i and i like the kind of smaller more puzzly encounters uh and especially like the like adam said i i like that when you that you are the ambusher in a lot of cases um that said i i think that like i'm i don't know that i'm gonna be able to get over like the long-term thing of hey this guy's like right next to me and i have a 56 percent chance of hitting them and then like i spend like four turns trying to get this one guy down. And in the meantime, like it's either that or I figure out like a different way to approach the encounter. But um, just like random roles always are, are kind of finicky with me. But uh, I, I'm I'm also like not super into the story. It seems like, okay, it's passable. But I think what a lot of people liked from those XCOM games were kind of making their own stories. Right. Uh, and so this this definitely feels like, let's make an XCOM for people who kind of had any sorts of complaints with the XCOM for with our XCOM games. But I don't know that the story they're telling here so far feels like a good replacement for like, hey, that the, I'm I've decided to make, you know, an XCOM group made out of all of my friends. And I'm going to tell this like kind of 
improv D&D story. I hear you, uh, and I definitely prefer that too. But at the same time, it is that feeling of like, well, I've already done that several times. You know, sure. like I'm interested to see what their take is. And like the world, I think, is interesting, like evolving from, I think it's like five years after XCOM 2. And the day that, you know, aliens, humans living together, there's also hybrids. And then like it gives a good opportunity for different storylines to pop up. Like the first, you get an option early on about which uh, thing you want to investigate, which path you want to go down out of the gate. And one of them's like, okay, there's this religious sect called the Sacred Coil that are obsessed with the true vision for how human-alien hybrids should exist and stuff. It's like, okay, that's enough of a framing where I'm a little bit intrigued about what this world is like in these days, even though I wasn't, you know, reading XCOM books in my free time or anything like that. I don't know. Uh, I'm still Maybe trying, you should have been. I really should. I'm trying to get a sense of to what extent this is, and it's not, it's not on the extreme end of being like the Civ Rev, you know, but I'm trying to get a sense of, do you think it is a streamlining of XCOM overall? Do you think it is them trying to reach a different mass audience with a different art style and this smaller, cheaper package? I think it definitely, like, you could make an argument that this feels more like a mobile game in that it is, it, it takes place in more smaller, discrete chunks. It doesn't have the giant maps that you have to worry about loading into and loading out of and being able to sit down for 45 minutes to play through this map, right? Yeah. Uh, I, I don't think that's necessarily bad. Uh, like I said, I think it, it focuses on some things and let some other things sort of fall away. And wh what you like about XCOM or don't like about XCOM personally, I think that's going to inform how you feel about Chimera Squad. Yeah. Uh, are you going to keep playing it? I mean, I don't, I don't play much of anything other than like old weird games these days. And like, I've been playing a, a DLC for Master of Magic, which is a game that came out in like 1991. Wait, so, but they did like the Age of Empires 2 thing of like releasing new DLC for it? It's, it's, <laughs> it's actually a dude made this like hardcore mod by reverse engineering the code and like rewriting the AI and fixing a ton of. And then the uh, this publisher Slytherin, uh, also Matrix, formerly Matrix Games, I think. That, then they acquired Slytherin. Anyway, there's this like hardcore strategy publisher, uh, bought the rights, and then brought that dude on as like a, a consultant kind of a deal, but gave him a job, and then gave him some more access to like some QA resources and stuff like that to take the mod and release it as an actual DLC for the game. So it's like, like you can buy it for I think it's like. Uh, so you can like buy it on, excuse me, buy it on Gog now. It's, it's awesome. It's called Caster of Magic. So that's what I, you've I been doing? I recommend everybody gets it. In like a post-game from the world, this is your strategy, is just to go back for the most nostalgia-drenched old games? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, gaming is like, it's like all comfort right now, especially with all this. You know, the world and all. Well, sweet. I was actually, I was impressed by Chimera Squad. I was like, oh, I'm curious to try it out. I don't know if I'm going to stick with it, but I had a better time in those first you know, in the first hour and a half than I expected. And like, I think it looks better than I was expecting too. And it's like, I think I'm going to stick with it. I think it's a, an interesting release overall. I feel like they definitely smoothed off some of the jankier engine, uh, edges of the graphics and sort of the, the transitions between animations and stuff like that. You still occasionally get a dude going like, and then the bullets go out that way, right? Because right. they didn't line up the gun, right? But it's once in a while right it ha it's a lot smoother of a presentation in my opinion they they really did some work to kind of get that a little bit more nailed down yeah um do you so, have any yeah, I mean, it's good. yeah do you have any burning questions for jeff um you haven't talked to him in a while <laughs> uh 
Wow, I did not expect to have that uh, we, thrown we at me. We just talked for like 10 minutes while you were trying to figure out whatever you were working on on the computer. So. <laughs> yeah, that's perfect. Yeah, we were on the call for like 15 minutes before this even got started. Uh-huh. So we already worked out all that. Hey, uh, Adam, Adam, I do have one one memory for you. Do you... <laughs> I, I think about this so many times, Adam. And it, it was when you managed to fall out of your chair at Game Informer. <laughs> But you you fell for like forty five seconds. It was just like like the the loudest weirdest noise coming from your back corner of the office, and it lasted long enough for me to hear it and be like, "What the hell's going on?" And then scoop my chair all the way over to catch like just the very last moments of you falling. How out is of that your possible? Chair. Is it him just going whoa 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 as he's slowly leaning back? Yes, it was incredible. I have no memory. <laughs> I'm well, you did hit your head your hard, so. Oh, there you go. <laughs> I do remember standing on my desk, if you remember the desks in the old sort of zone in the office, right? They were like the built-in, like pine, whatever. Mm-hmm. They're not like desks, and they were kind of old and janky. I was. Sta- I, I decided to climb up on one for at some point. I think I was doing something really stupid. I was like moving some monitor cables or maybe hanging something from my, like, my light fixture or something dumb like that. And I'm not a small man, and the whole thing just broke. The whole dead, like the whole piece just like chunk, fell off, like landed. It was actually being held up by the gaming PC on one end and my Mac tower on the other hand, <laughs> uh, on the other side. And uh, yeah, I got to hear about that for many a year after after that happened. Yeah, I think that was that was the desk that uh, JV inherited. And at some point he broke it in half, too. It's made of balsa <laughs> wood, basically. Yeah. Although the story I'm learning here is that, Adam, you're basically like the oj simpson from naked gun of the game informer office just wandering in falling into a bear trap just confused about where you are at all times and then you watch the naked gun again oh absolutely you're absolutely right no i watched totally holds up like two weeks ago i watched it it's great are you serious it's probably like with dan reichard before he moved away we watched it we watched all of them it really will make you laugh so if there's one parting message from this XCOM Chimera Squad segment. It's go back and watch Naked Gun again because it's very yeah. silly. Uh, <laughs> okay, Adam. so now I imagine an XCOM game where the point is like your biggest obstacle is accidents that you have to avoid mm. versus actual enemies, and, they and just it's make all it just a... pratfall stuff. Yeah, yeah. So the 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 you and the accidents are interlevied this time around. <laughs> so perfect, uh, Adam. You're welcome back whenever you'd like, but uh, we have other things to talk about. Would you mind clapping out, dude? Kyle Hilliard, welcome to the show. Hi. We all missed you, and we all love you. Oh, thank you. And everybody in the comments, make sure to let Kyle know that they love him and appreciate him. Jeffum, do you love and appreciate Kyle? Oh, so much. Great. And that's... Did you guys just, like, talk a bunch of crap about me in the last segment? No, 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 no. <laughs> uh, Kyle, I want to talk briefly huh? about two fun Nintendo updates where earlier this week, very late at night, Nintendo just said, bam, Dreams are coming true. Moving on uh, with their Mario Maker 2 update, their final Mario Maker 2 update, which they yeah. added. It seems like almost everything people have been begging for. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, I think the thing that people are begging for are like just more templates, right? Like they want a they want a Mario Brothers 2 template. They yeah. want like Mario Land templates, which are like huge asks. You know what I mean? Like, but well. as, as far as the stuff that was added. I think it was interesting. We got close to some Mario Brothers 2 stuff. You know? Yeah. Well, so instead of the Mario 2 template, they added a version of Mario from Mario 2 that can pick stuff up like Mario 2. It's like, oh, that's a really yeah. cool idea and a cool addition. And then the one that everyone is losing their minds over is 
something that we even asked Tezuka in our rapid fire from E3 back at Game Informer, which is very fun to go back and look at. Um, I went back and watched it and really enjoyed it, which is obnoxious maybe. But um, they finally added the ability to create a world map in Mario, which is so satisfying yeah. to see. And you can do eight, eight world maps with 40 levels, I think was the number. So, I mean, like, people, you can make a full Mario campaign complete with Overworld, which is, is pretty nuts. Well, this is that wild thing, too. I'm trying to figure out now, like, yeah, if someone wanted to make Super Mario World, how close could they get? Like, 80% of the way there? Or 98? Yeah. I mean, uh, 80, probably, realistically. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, but uh, I saw... Yeah, yeah, it's, go ahead. I was just gonna say it's just it's wild to me that it's like the last update. Like they've said, this is the final update, and it's also pretty crazy that all this stuff has been free. You know what I mean? Like a lot of this stuff, DLC in other games. I feel like. Yeah. No, that, that's true. Um, and it's just it, I saw some people obviously are happy with the update, but also just lamenting like how weak the support for Mario Maker Two has been compared to the first one. Like the first one just kept rolling out new things all the time, and this one it's been real dry bones and then all of a sudden hey here's the world map and we're out bye everybody and it's like okay well yeah it's worth celebrating but uh not the sustained do life think, do you think a mario maker do you think mario maker 3 is like in the works are they thinking about it because i, I don't think so. i think they're done with mario maker for a while at this point i mean i don't think this thing has tanked but you think about if you take the resources that it would take to make that versus let's just make another new super mario brothers game for the switch I mean, the amount of money they would make off that is a juggernaut. And, like, I think they would yeah. need a reason to go back. And at this point, they're really running out of reasons. I don't think Super Mario Land as a, as a theme is enough of a reason. That's yeah, going to be no, weird, though, because, sure. like, what does a new Super Mario Brothers game look like after Mario Maker? Because if you think about, like, people have gotten so used to, like, the Kaizo style, let's make a really hard level to go back to, like, hey, you know, in this one, we just had a really nice slope where you slide down and there's, like, the Koopas there and you just make it to the end of the level and it was fun. Like, yeah. is that going to play after people have gotten so much of Mario Maker? I think so, because you think about the circle that you're in, which is Twitter press making diabolical levels and people writing stories about how hard these levels are and just crazy gifts, right, on Twitter, compared to the average Mario consumer that probably doesn't even know a game called Mario Maker exists. And so if they yeah. change the art style a little bit and release a new 2D Mario, I still think there's plenty of people that will be hungry for that. You know, I had this weird thing that happened. It was when we were at Game Informer and I, I, we ha our IT guy, who we didn't interact with a lot, he came up once when I was reviewing Mario Maker for Wii U. Okay. And he... Like, he worked in the Game Informer office and wasn't, like, aware of the game. Yeah. Like, not not the biggest gamer, obviously. But, like, it was so funny that he was fascinated by it and was really excited about it. And he was like, oh, man, if they released, like, like just classic Mario, on, I would buy a Wii U. And I was kind of like, man, the virtual console is right, right there in front of you. And this game is, like, right, that thing that you want exists, man. And How's I that? Like, I think he's just, like, a representative of, like, like you're saying, Hanson, that larger sort of like outside that little circle mario fan that like doesn't i don't like, think it's small though I, I i think that yeah i see it on twitter and stuff but like i feel like that community is is growing because of stuff like this but sure yeah yeah but but also yeah, like yeah. what what new ideas do they throw into mario that haven't been done at this point oh they can figure something out oh man you wouldn't believe it oh the <laughs> things they'll come up with surreal it's gonna blow your mind i mean i'm sure when they release yeah. mario odyssey 2 later this year everybody's gonna be over the moon with all those new ideas that well no but i'm talking it. about like specifically for like 2d mario because what was oh. like new, what was the last 2d mario before maker it was like new super mario brothers 2 on the 3ds right uh Ooh. well the wii u one right oh did new 2 super come mario out brothers after U? that though 
Yeah, that's a good, these are good questions. That's a yeah. close window. But uh, yes. Uh, and, and in that one, it was like, hey, gold, right? What if everything was gold? It's like, well, if you have to pick a theme, I guess it's a theme. We all yeah. love gold members. Sure. Like, the, the last new idea was like that propeller suit and a couple of things in, right. in, in, the, in the Wii game. But yeah. Anyways, uh, also they announced an Animal Crossing update. Now you can make shrubs. Very exciting. Uh, have uh, art in your museum. Have a garden shop. And also, one of the seasons that they have going up is wedding season. Where it looked yeah. to me, at mm -hmm. least, like you can make your villagers marry each other, which is a dream come true. If that's how I'm reading it, and it's correct. but I mean, the big news with Animal Crossing, though, is that it's just like the greatest selling game of all time like did you see that npd stuff like no it actually, i didn't already outsold all the previous animal crossings combined it was like the best-selling game of march by like a significant margin the second best-selling game of the year after call of duty warzone like it's it's insane wait warzone that's a weird thing so is it counting downloads yeah. for warzone what that's for modern sense. warfare i think i think modern, it, 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 warfare. modern I, warfare yeah yeah i, I oh, okay combined them but yeah like animal crossing is just like there's like even people talking about it maybe being like one of the biggest like entertainment launches like they're they're giving it like that kind of label now i think it, didn't they say like that it it's outsold like it, yeah there's a uh a headline animal crossing new horizons launch uh, sales surpass any mario or zelda in the u.s yeah. see like, ya it's, suckers it's steamroll and isn't it everything. not the mp doesn't include digital sales right it, yeah it was at oh the top my. of the list without including digital sales oh my is, mother of yeah. god I oh. love it. What a fun game to be that successful. Oh, I know, thank God. Yeah, yeah it's wild. Oh, the, I mean, and just to go down that path again, real yeah. quick, NPD, like Persona 5 Royal was like number six or seven for last month, which is like insane to think about like Persona 3. And like no mm. one even knew what that game was. Right. And now mm. the re-release of like the basically the game of the year edition Persona 5 is like one of the top 10 selling best games of the month it released. Like yeah. And at the same crazy. time, I was kind of underwhelmed. Maybe I'm nuts, but they announced that Final Fantasy VII Remake sold 3.5 million, I believe. In three and, days, yeah. Right. And it's like, okay, obviously having the physical versions in stores would have helped them a lot. But then just thinking about when 15 launched, remember they made such a big deal about like, it's the fastest selling Final Fantasy of all time. And it was a little bit screwy numbers of like, it's the most shipped Final Fantasy. So you never know exactly what that means, but am I insane to be disappointed by Final Fantasy VII and like 3.5? I think I was expecting more. Because I mean, that includes digital. In our predictions, that was one of my sort of like predictions that we, like kind of was that I thought Final Fantasy VII would exceed expectations in a huge way. Right. And I don't know that it has. I think it has met expectations, you know? But who knows? I'm sure it'll continue yeah, to, to climb know. up the charts. Um, hey, Suriel Vasquez. Yeah, that's me. How are you, man? I'm good, you know? podcasting are you losing your mind in your apartment do you feel like you're getting a little bit screwy over there <laughs> uh no i don't think so but oh. you tell me i guess do you have a tough time what's, what's written on the wall behind you in blood cereal i can't <laughs> read what that says yeah, oh those are just sacrifices but i'm consciously doing i don't think that's uh, anything okay. weird uh no you've been playing guilty gear strive yeah, I played a little bit of the beta, which was uh, it was one of those betas where they they give you a very uh, set time of we are you are playing from in my case it was a, a two to seven and then we're taking the servers down and this is all in Japan time so one of the you know sessions is like four a.m. to ten a.m. or something like that um, but I've, I I played quite a bit of that even though the uh, the lobby and connections uh, were very uh, bad for most of it yeah. <laughs> 
because um, they 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 Arxis likes doing their weird like player lobby things where you can walk around and it's like interactive. And in this one, it's maybe their worst implementation of it yet because it's like this side scrolling thing. And the idea is that you're supposed to stand around uh, and you hold down the square button and you'll like pull out a sword that says I'm ready to fight. But I guess the way that I ended up doing it was that if you put away your sword, that's the only way you can challenge someone with their sword extended. But I think everyone thought that both players had to have their sword extended and they, then they just fight if they collide or something. So it was this weird thing of like trying to like troubleshoot how to get into a match. And oh, then no. when you got in, it's like, oh, yeah, no, the server's going to kick you out because the connections are bad. Oh, boy. Well, just zooming uh, out a little bit. Guilty Gear Strive, this is the new fighting game from the team that made Dragon Ball Fighters. Um, and just because mm -hmm. this isn't like... Uh, a new version of one of their old Guilty Gear games. This is like a new generation this of Guilty Gear. This is like Gear. the next one. Yeah, this is, I mean, Strive has an IV in it, so it's like basically Guilty Gear 4. I see. I, I'm uh, sorry, Jeffum's eyes have actually rolled out and rolled across <laughs> his floor. <laughs> uh, what do you think so far about the fighting itself? How's it holding up? It's very weird um, because I think that a lot of people were ready to get into this one because it's, you know, kind of their next step up visually. I think it looks uh, incredible. Uh, a lot of the visual panache of the game, I think, is is really super strong. Um, I think a lot of the systemic changes are kind of... Uh, they don't give you a good idea of what they want people to... Like, I don't understand what they want people to focus on in this game um, because they mention a lot that it hey, we want to give new players a better starting ground. You know, they, we, want, we don't want this to be overwhelming for new players. But a lot of the changes they've made are kind of like, uh, they kind of work against that. So Guilty Gear had this thing called the Gatling combo system where basically if you pressed any of like the punch, it, it'd be basically their equivalent of light, medium and heavy comboed into each other very easily. And in this game, it's not the case. It's more like Street Fighter, where you have to find very specific um, attacks that combo into each other hmm. by, like, troubleshooting. Yeah. Um, and so that feels like a very... That doesn't feel super newbie-friendly, because I think one of the things people like about those flashier games is that you can just mash buttons and you can just combo. And there's no auto-combo here. There's nothing like that that I think they, that have been in more recent fighting games. Um, and they've stripped out a lot of the things that made Guilty Gear a little bit more complex. So you still have like your, um, you still have some of the mechanics, but a lot of those have been simplified. The combos are way easier. Um, it's a little bit slower. Like air dashes are, are slower, but you can block in the air more easily. Um, so they're making a lot of like alterations to the combat system that feel sort of like at odds. I'm not sure if they want the game to be slower or if they want the game to be faster. Um, sort of, and because the uh, defense is still not super strong, but they have they made these very explicit changes that um, feel like, oh, we want people to to you know uh, do more more easily. Um, but it, yeah, it, it's a little weird. But I enjoyed my time with it just because like the the damage was completely off the scales in a lot of cases. Like rounds would be over in like twenty seconds. Oh, um, the character that I played, uh, Potemkin, is like a, a Zangief type. Okay. Um, and his like his, you know his the his equivalent of the spinning power driver, uh, could kill people with like there was one character chip who has the lowest health who he could kill with two of those. Uh, so all you had to do was basically land two combos basically, and the character was dead. Um, and so he was just doing a, a ton of ridiculous damage. People were finding a lot of broken stuff. Um, that just was ridiculous. There's this really cool like wall bounce mechanic where if you do a combo in the corner, the character will very, um 
bounce off the walls and you can extend your combo that way and you can even break the wall uh and that'll put you in an advantage but you're not they're not in the corner anymore so that's kind of like an interesting choice yeah uh chip has this really cool thing now where he can run up the wall and so he can do combos off of that where he'll get you in the wall and he's like pushing you upwards comboing like he's running sideways up the wall and you like your character is here. He's running up the wall like that. And so he's pushing you upwards. So it's this really cool looking thing. That's nice. Um, but all the characters have like fewer moves than they used to do. Um, so it, it's this weird thing where they like Guilty Gear has always been like, hey, this is the really complex one. This is the one that's hard to get into. And they're doing a lot of moves that are like, hey, we've made it simpler. But I think they're kind of missing out on what um is kind of appealing about the series because it feels a little bit more like street fighter and at some point unless you really like the characters of guilty gear you may as well just go play street fighter at some point that's interesting um, do you i remember with grand blue fantasy versus i was debating like oh do i get into this one is this a good starting place and you were like well maybe or you could just wait for strive do you still feel like you know i got i got a couple sticks if i want to dive into a fighting game that this is going to be a, a good place to start here I, I, I would say, honestly, like, uh, unless you really dig the design of Guilty Gear in the first place, I think um, Versus might work as a good primer for Strive, but I don't oh, know weird. how much time you want to... I think much. I think Versus is a, is a little, um, from what I've played of, you know, I've only played the beta of Guilty Gear, I think Versus might be a little easier to get into. Um, whereas I, I'm curious to see where Strive falls on that, because I think... You know, I don't know how much tutorialization they do, like that you can only play online, obviously. Um, but in terms of like trying to learn how to play a fighting game, I think versus might be a little easier because it, it it's a little more grounded in Street Fighter, even more so than than Strive. Um, but it I think it has better tools to to naturally like, oh, this is how combos work. Whereas in Guilty Gear, you're gonna be doing a lot of like, okay, why doesn't that work? Well, it's because of these kind of like obscure reasons versus versus uh very clearly lays out what works and what doesn't yeah so they don't have a release date yet for strive no they've said late 2020 and you know who knows what any video game release date looks like at this point in uh, in terms of whether or not that's actually going to happen but i'm i'm still pretty excited about it I, like I, I again um i'm not super versed in the guilty gear series so uh, a lot of people are kind of bemoaning some of the things that it's missing compared to exert the previous game um, but I like, you know, I, I don't, I can't miss those things because I'm not super versed in it. Right. Um, and you know, obviously I don't want to speak about like, Hey, it's like, there's nothing to this game. It's like, it's way too simple because they they stripped out all, all of these things since you haven't spent too much time with it, but I, I still like, I, I still have fun with it, you know, like yeah. just cause Potemkin was fun to play and stuff, but, uh, I'm still looking forward to it, but I'm a little confused as to how this game is going to shake out. Long right. Right. Uh, Jeff, have I mean, you ever listened? Nothing. Oh, go I ahead. Go. Say, if nothing else, it, its subtitle isn't a made-up word that no one can pronounce. Yeah, so that helps. Like, no, cool. but they have the I and the V in Strive, Kyle. Did you did you miss that part? No, I missed that. <laughs> uh, Jeff, um, have you ever listened to the podcast Reply All? No. Uh, well, they have a segment which is very fun called Yes, Yes, No. Uh, Kyle, do you want to explain it? Uh, yes, Yes, No is a segment from Reply All where they find a tweet that one of the hosts doesn't understand, and then the other two hosts attempt to explain that person to a point of understanding what the tweet meant. And you pulled up some tweets okay. from Serial about Guilty Gear Strive that you're flummoxed by, and you want to see if yeah. Jeffum can understand what Serial's explaining? <laughs> yeah, so let's see. I got a couple here. Perfect. Um, not a huge fan of the gut scaling for life bars and Strive, and I do miss Gatling combos. It does feel like 
few combos are fairly easy to find for most characters. So I think you've explained what Gatling is a little bit, but what is gut scaling? Now, this isn't for Serial to explain. This is for Jeffem to try and take a guess at. Okay. Yeah, right. what's gut scaling? Gut scaling is um, the amount of power that, or health ratio, health to power ratio that, that different characters have from one another. Mm, correct. Okay. You got it. Um, Kyle, do you have more? Yeah. Um, I will never be good at Strive because I will mash Heat Knuckle every round. <laughs> Can't say that on this uh, podcast. This cereal, this, you can confirm this is a tweet that you tweeted? I did, I did tweet that. There's a yeah. Heat Knuckle. There's, there is an accompanying video with that tweet, though. I true. think it's that not safe for work. Heat Knuckle is a combo that uh, Panacio does. Which was Surreal's favorite character from the beta. You got it. <laughs> Way to go. Sure. Uh, uh, yes, I Kyle. got more if we want more. <laughs> I think we might be good. But the point is, thank you for your expertise, Hold on, Well, there is this one from March 9th, Surreal, that says, thanks to Soccer Mommy for the music. Is that related to Guilty Gear? Or... No, that's not no? a Guilty Gear okay. related. No. <laughs> he lives a rich and yeah. varied life, Kyle. I can okay. see why, you know. Yeah. Uh, hey, Jeff. They, they removed the soccer mommy from Exert oh. in Thrive. Yeah. Good, good, good update. Good, good call. Uh, hey, Jeff, uh, I took one of your tabletop recommendations from a couple weeks ago on the show, and uh, I got that Raptor game, that yeah. 1v1 asymmetrical game, uh, and I really love it. Obviously, I'm a sucker for the theme because I like dinosaurs so much, but like. Naturally. You know, I, I think we talked about it before. We were like, talking about the best 1v1 tabletop games to play during the pandemic and stuff. And I was like, well, there's chess, which I was like, probably the best, realistically, if you really want to zoom out. But it just feels so intense, and it it stresses me out as much as I love chess. Uh, and then you come across something like Raptor, where it's lighthearted, the rounds are pretty quick, uh, and just having like that asymmetrical nature makes it so fun. And I'm weirdly militant about it, where it's like, okay, whichever side you choose, you're sticking with. Every time we play this, I'm going to be the scientist and then you're going to be the raptor and we're just going to get used to this dynamic and like learning all of their moves and you have that weird surprise element of like flipping the cars trying to figure out who's doing what. It strategically mm -hmm. has a lot going on and I really love it. Yeah, it does. And I tried not to get too in the weeds in that because it's listening to rules when you can't see the game in front of you is is a super boring thing. Yes. But yeah, there, there are a number of... I always kind of wince when you mention chess because I think obviously there's a ton of depth there in chess, but you you're always kind of processing this the same kind of decisions that you make in chess, which is basically what's the best move that I can make here in order to try and you know corner my opponent into a checkmate. Yeah. And and the great thing about modern board games now is there are so many different kinds of decisions that you have to make and different kinds of information that you have to take into account and it's it's just kind of you, you know like and different variable win conditions and all those kind of things is yeah is why i like you know modern board games and raptor is a really cool example of that and you had a couple plus other you, ones plus you can say clever girl every time you eat one of the scientists it is very fun even like the art is like so clearly inspired by certain shots from jurassic park but i mean who's mm -hmm. gonna complain and it is mandatory that if you're playing this you have to listen to the Lost World soundtrack. There is no way around it, and it has to be Lost World specifically. It's but true. Jurassic Park 3 soundtrack's not going to cut it? Don't even bring that up, Kyle. That's offensive. Oh, sorry. <laughs> uh, Jeff, you've been playing more? 
1v1 tabletop board games or just in general co-op stuff or what is it? Uh, just in general stuff, I'll, I'll have to do, I'll, I'll try, I've seen some more people asking for 1v1 recommendations, so we'll have to do that on a, on a future episode, but my wife and I ended up playing a bunch of card drafting games. Card this, drafting. Yeah, so, so card drafting is a mechanic where basically you're going to get usually a hand of cards and you look through them and you take one and then everybody passes their cards to the next person and you take another one. Mm. And so you're each each time you're getting a different card. Like Sushi Go? Basically. Like Sushi Go, okay. exactly. And that that is, surprise, my first recommendation. And it, it, is, it is the one that everyone has probably already played. This is the game because people like this probably yeah there's a bunch of like variants though so sushi go party yes yeah and that that was the one i wanted to mention sushi go is is just about the best kind of introductory game that you could probably get if you have people who don't play you know don't play board games but i think everyone has probably played card games at some point yeah and it's i think it's a very easy transition where you're basically just collecting a bunch of very cute looking cartoony sushi pieces with little faces on them and each each card scores in a different way and so as you're going through the rounds you kind of have to pick a strategy based on what other people are doing and try and make the best of the cards that you're getting and i would i recommend sushi go party especially because sushi go is a very replayable game but what's sushi go party adds a bunch of different card types and so each game you'll pick kind of a handful of different scoring opportunities and there's there's a ton of extra ones in the box so i've played probably you know normal sushi go probably like a hundred times oh my god you know different families and everything it's because that's the one that everyone always says oh let's play sushi go just because it's it i mean it it grabs everyone and yeah. at, at this point i don't want to play it anymore but having having this option where you have different combinations of cards every time keeps it a little fresher every time nice and 1v1 works fine yeah so card drafting games in general i think play better with more people yeah but 1v1 is still interesting it's just interesting in a different way and i think it's a little more strategic because the hand that you start with, you know you're going to get several cards out of there. And, and so it's not just, okay, well, I'm taking one and I'm passing it and I'm never going to see these cards again because they're not going to get back to me. You're thinking, well, you know, which two or three of these do I hope I'm going to get back and can, I, can that influence my decision-making process through that? Right. That's cool. Do you have other recommendations? Yeah. Uh, the second one is a much a newer game i think it came out this year if not last year but that is point salad from aeg this is another i don't know why they're all you know based on food but um this one's a little different in that you have uh a few cards on the table that you're drafting from and basically what's interesting about it is that each card has a vegetable on one side out of six different vegetables but on the back side it has a point scoring method And each card has its own, there's like 108 cards or something in the game. Each one has its own unique way that you can score. And so each turn, you're either taking vegetables or you're taking a different point scoring card. And so you're building both the amount of vegetables that you have at the end of the game, but also how each one of those scores individually. Some may give you points if you have certain vegetables or certain combinations. Some may take away points if you get stuck with those kind of vegetables. And so each... 
each round you are building your own very unique way of where you're going to score. Sounds interesting. At the same time, I mean, is it better than Sushi Go? I know you hate this type of boiling stuff down, but like if you're looking for one of these card drafting type games, is it just like go for Sushi Go, everybody? Yeah, I I would see these three recommendations. They're kind of a more, you know, beginner, medium, little more advanced kind of scale. And so I think introductory, definitely Sushi Go. You can always play that. Like I said, I'm... I have gotten sick of Sushi Go at this point. I would much rather play this because I think the amount of variability that you're going to have, I mean, it's every game is definitely going to be completely different because you're always getting different scoring things. And and so that's what's interesting to me. Sure. Uh, So what's the advanced one? I've only played this one two-player at this point. I, 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 you know, it should be fun with more players, but I, we obviously can't do that now. Yeah. Uh, So finally, last one, it, this is the slightly more advanced one. It's called Fairy Tale. Um, this is, I believe, one of the very first uh, instances of card drafting. Really? And basically, this goes back to the kind of Sushi Go situation where you have a hand of cards that you start with, you take one, you pass the rest on. But it's a little more advanced in terms of how the scoring works, and there are some abilities that as you're laying the cards out in front of you some cards will make you flip over cards so that they no longer score for you some will make you flip over an opponent's cards so those no longer score for them and those so they're just a, a few more interesting mechanics that they weave into it and it's got a fantasy theme if you if you like that sort of thing what's but the name of it again it's called fairy tale fairy tale interesting cool good board game recommendations of the week yeah, so check those out depending on your you know skill level or, or who you play with i yeah. think they're all but i none of them are so difficult that you know people are gonna flip the table and be disgusted with you so. yes absolutely well hey surreal because you're cool and you like sam barlow's games do you want to hang out and then jeff and kyle do you guys want to clap out of here yeah sam barlow welcome to the MinMax show Hey, great to be here. Ah, it's an honor to have you. Honor to have you. Uh, exciting news for you this week because Telling Lies is coming to consoles. It is, and uh, we didn't plan it this way, but you know, it's 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 the right time for a game like this to be out there. Okay, so if you don't remember, uh, you've also created Her Story, uh, worked on Silent Hill Homecoming, a lot of amazing games in your past. Um, Her Story, one of my favorites, definitely. Telling Lies is very exciting, and it's that weird thing where it's a game all about looking at people through their webcams uh searching for keywords trying to understand people's lives basically from it was effectively everybody in their little quarantine situation i mean how this isn't planned right no matter what quarantine or not this thing was coming to consoles it wasn't a matter of oh the zeitgeist is very into webcams now let's go for it correct yeah no we were like uh yeah we conceived of the game in i want to say like 2016 17 uh and the world was so different then. Like there are, there are, there are some themes in the game uh, to do with government and law enforcement that even back then in like 2016, we were like, oh, this is an interesting thing that no one's really talking about. We can like dig into this. And then, uh, you know, lots of stuff happened politically. Uh, and as we were making it, it was like, oh my gosh, some of this stuff is becoming close to what, you know, people are going to think that this is a commentary on things that are happening right now and it's not. Um, so it's happened again. Um, yeah, no, we would, we would, there was a point where we were wondering about being on console at launch. Uh, and that ended up being too much to do. Uh, so this was, this was always planned, 
But no, it's, it's amazing the number of calls I've had, um, especially from like Hollywood types who over the years have had like conversations about doing things with her story or whatever. And every single one of them, like two weeks into quarantine of, of, of like Zoom meetings was like, oh my God, I need to, to reach out to that Sambala guy again. Like uh, this is, this feels now. Yeah. Uh, what are those conversations like then? Do they want to make the Netflix adaptation of her story or what's the, what's the big pitch that you keep getting asked about? Yeah, we've, yeah, we've had various versions of that over the years. Uh, some that almost happened, some that, you know, it's, it's that thing when you see like, oh, so-and-so has bought the movie rights to Metroid. And everyone's like, oh my God, this is amazing. And you're like, calm down. Right. Very good chance Metroid would not be in the cinemas next year. Um, so, you know, but it's, yeah, like I say, in this, I've got to see inside so many Hollywood execs' houses and seen how nice they are. <laughs> it's, it's good. It's a good opportunity to kind of uh, pry into people's lives. Yeah, so now you know I got to get into this Hollywood game, come hell or high water. This is the future they, for Mr. Barlow. They seem to have nice houses. All right. Um, well, I mean, Surreal's I mean, house is not so bad. He's got a beautiful bedroom yeah. behind him there, Surreal. I mean, obviously, it's not set up like a Hollywood studio just yet, but I'm getting there. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is also uh, maybe dumb, but during this era where everybody's so focused on webcams, is it um, is it generating new ideas in your mind? Do you think like, oh, maybe I could crank out a game about some sort of quarantine mystery through Zoom? Is it um, does it feel like a I don't know a fertile ground for you creatively? I feel like there's a balance between uh, so I had like two kids, uh, so there's a balance between trying to get the current project done whilst homeschooling two kids and that just being a lot uh tends to that's like fighting against any fertility that's happening in my brain yeah uh, there was i mean this the the new project we're working on uh one of the interesting aspects of that was like going into we were like this will not be fan footage mm. this will not be webcams let's move away from that aesthetic <laughs> and then, and we literally, we moved into an office in January uh, and Telling Lies was developed pretty much remotely. Uh, so there was an amount of uh, Skyping people whilst we were making that. So this was like a clean break. It was like 2020, we're moving into this office. Everyone's real people talking to each other. And then a few weeks later, it was like, okay, guys, we need to start thinking about working from home. And so we're back. So it feels like as much as I try and get away from that world, I'm back in it. Um, it's, I mean, it's slightly tortuous. Like uh, a good six months after we shot Telling Lies, whenever I did a Skype, I would feel so ugly because I'd been looking at actors with, you know, a camera, a lighting crew, trying to make it look authentic, but at the same time, like lighting things nicely. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and the, the costumes and the sets, there was color schemas going on. Like everything was nice. And then I'm there like, <laughs> Skyping with, and I'm like, people like, can't see your face, your back lip. Like, oh my God. Um, what, what's, what's that process like of trying to find uh, a way for the, like the webcam stuff to not look completely like, you know, filmic or whatever and making it look like this is, this could feasibly be uh, like something better than like, you know, this conversation, for example, where everything yeah. looks, it's just I like, like the, webcams. The biggest thing up front was the physicality of it was, uh, and cause I, you know, I went and I watched every fan footage webcam thing. Um, and the biggest thing up front was like, 
this has to be real for the actors. Like, it, it, nothing is faker than an actor looking at a camera pretending it's a webcam on a, like, phone or a laptop and being like, oh, and, and like, eye lines being wrong. Like, that's the worst thing. Yeah. Uh, so up front, we're like, we need to uh, create a rig which is essentially the same as a laptop or a phone, can be handled by the actor in which they can see who they're talking to. Like a big conceit in telling lies is that uh, you're seeing conversations between two people, but part of the puzzle comes from the fact that you see one at a time. So I was like, if I think it's interesting to watch someone listening to what's being said on the other side, if it's interesting for me that I'm inferring, oh, emotionally, like how are they reacting to what's being said? Can I infer something from that? Um, that has to be as real as we can make it. Like, uh, if it's going to be interesting to stare at Carrie Bichet's face as she's listening to Logan Marshall Green talking, um, let's not have them fake that. Because, like, the traditional way to do that would be you shoot the thing separately, you break it all up. And, you know, even in a big Hollywood production, if you have two people in a conversation, oftentimes there will just be a stand in there who's just reading the lines off camera. And, you know, only one half the conversation is actually acting. Um, but the edit, you know, adds something to it. Uh, so, yeah, up front, we're like, well, we need to be as well. Like, I'd, I'd shot some stuff before that was um, on sets in a studio where, you know, you would have, like, two walls or three walls, no ceiling. Um, and if actors had handheld cameras, they were reasonably constrained. Because it was like, if you move the camera too far, you're going to catch that this is not real. So part of that process as well was we need to be pretty much shooting on location so that we have 360 degrees. Uh, so like all of the locations in Telling Lies were fully dressed all around so that the actors, we would, you know, hit up a scene and the most creative part of the process for the actors was like, how's this blocking going to work? Uh, and it's part of the gameplay. Uh, you know, if one of the questions you have when you're playing Telling Lies is who is this person speaking to? Uh, well, if my wife is calling me, how do I pick up the phone? How do I position myself when I initiate the Skype? Right. Where am I sitting? Like, there's a whole different thing to I'm having a work Skype with my boss and I'm going to set up in a different part of the room. So that kind of body language was a big part of it, like getting the actors comfortable with the rigs so that it felt real. Um, and, and then aesthetically that fed into some of the limitations. You know, you couldn't have a lot of movie lights everywhere because you would see them. Um, you know, they couldn't be on camera. Uh, so that a lot of stuff was done practically. Um, and then, like, we, we played a lot with the footage on the other end. Like, do we, like, glitch it up? Do we kind of, you know, kill it in that way so yeah. it feels real? But, like, part of the project for me was... I wanted to communicate the joy of just losing yourself in performance and footage. And so, you know, on one level, this is a game where you have hours and hours of close-ups of actors doing acting uh, and these characters that you might want to hang out with. And the, the kind of mechanic of the game that lets you scrub through this footage on a level encourages you to like slow it down and just look at freeze frames of these characters and try and see what's happening on their faces so even though it's this fan footage aesthetic, uh, it's not like Kubrick, I still wanted you to enjoy the visuals and enjoy these actor spaces and stuff. So we didn't want to like degrade the image too much. Um, what we ended up doing, which was 
hilarious to me was uh, the DP did a bunch of experiments and he found that if we just killed the resolution of it, but kept the compression really high quality, it just gave you like a little edge. Huh. Uh, so I think the footage in the game is something like 360p, which is, you know, that is like I'm on a shitty dial-up connection. I'm going to mm-hmm. knock YouTube down to 360. Um, but because it was ne- nicely compressed and because you're mainly dealing with like close-ups, um, it just, it, it, in the same way that like, not to get too film nerd, but I remember uh, David Lynch did this movie, Inland Empire, which was the first movie he shot on essentially a consumer camcorder. Like this wasn't a high-end film thing. It was digital and it was low-res digital. But he like fell in love with how, I think to use his language, how dreamy the image was because it was this kind of low-res, slightly blurry thing. And he really loved that. Um, so yeah, that that was the thing we lent into because we, you know, there's a lot of suspension of disbelief in creating these things. So for me, it was like if the performance and the writing and the, the story leans into these people are talking on their devices and that is the whole vibe and we believe that and that's truthful in the performances uh if we do these other things visually um we can still and you know enjoy something that has been set dressed more than real life would be it does you know to look at like real yeah real webcam footage me sat here like no one wants to look at this but that's kind of but you say that i mean but i feel like a weird side effect of the overall quarantine is there's some charm in seeing, you know, Seth Meyers' attic, you know, mm-hmm. and just seeing like Jimmy Fallon try and piece something together. I feel like people are getting more and more comfortable. Obviously, the rise of YouTube, it kind of has brought this in in a big way, too. But people are more and more comfortable with just things looking real and kind of, you know, uh, duct taped together. I mean, yeah. if you look at uh, Surreal's webcam, it keeps glitching out and making him looks like a looks like a freaky monster over there, you know. So it is a weird thing where it's like, I think you totally could get away if you'd ever want to do another webcam found footage type game. Because people are very used to this aesthetic at this point of just making it raw. I'm sure the actors would hate it, but forget them. Just make it look as honest as possible. No set decorations. Then you could crank out one of these games every two months. You know, it'd be great. I mean, that was essentially her story. Her <laughs> yeah, story I guess so. Was, was I'm like, hey, the uh, the police interview camera does not have a director of photography tweaking the light levels. Like this stuff looks ugly. Um, and one of the, I mean, you're right in that. Uh, like that was the inspiration for her story was very much I was riffing on the ubiquity then of YouTube. The fact that like uh, news TV programs were more often running with cell phone footage. Whereas like when I grew up, news only happened if a crew got there and it was like, you know, it it was professionals filming what was happening. Um, And so her story came from that transition. And like one of the things that was in part of the my little inspiration kit on that project was uh the casting footage of sharon stone in basic instinct oh interesting um, and this stuff's on youtube you just go check it out um where i think, I think like paul verhoeven wanted sharon stone to lead that movie but she wasn't a big enough name uh so he record he filmed her doing three of the scenes and you know, it's uh, it's reasonably flatly lit. Uh, she's not excessively, she's not dressed up in character. It's shot in a hotel room, I guess. It's some kind of lo-fi video. Um, and it's so intense. Like on a level, this, this very non-cinematic footage feels more real and intense. So when you have Sharon Stone putting, going into that character and 
and doing the, I think she, she films like three scenes. One of them is like the famous interrogation scene, um, but it's so much more intense. And it's got a really funky text as well because Paul Verhoeven, the director, is reading Michael Douglas's lines off camera mm. in his thick Dutch accent. So there's, it's like, it's the weirdest, coolest thing. But I remember like watching that because with her story, I was, I was like doing my research into police interviews in media uh, and so I was rewatching Basic Instinct, and I saw like these extras on the DVD watch that, and I was like, oh my God. And my brain kind of added that together with the YouTube stuff I was looking at, with the uh, like the true crime stuff, which wasn't, I think at that point, truly a thing yet. I just got in at the same time. Uh, so I was like binging on uh, the footage from the Jodie Arias case, if you ever followed that. They had like hours and hours of her interrogation footage. Um, which at times was kind of surreal, at times intense. Um, so I was pretty much, you know, uh, drinking the same water everyone else was and kind of reacting to that aesthetic that was out there. Yeah. the uh, I'm curious what you learned about the game industry from releasing Telling Lies. You had Annapurna pushing it. Uh, How did you feel about the game's reception, trying to get the message out there? Is it a tough thing to market? Um, it's There's so much going on. It's... I think in five years time, we'll be able to look back and figure out what 2019 in video games was. But I mean, the biggest difference to me was like coming from her story in 2015, which was my first digital game. So prior to that, you know, I'd had publishers publishing my games, uh, which is a weird thing because usually as like the lead designer, I wouldn't even be on the project when it finished right the, we would get to like beta and i would move on to another project and there'd be other people finishing it and usually a producer making the hard calls because you know if you're if you're having to master a disc and have to run it through nintendo and everyone you're kind of months out having to say this is done drop dead has to be done if we're going to hit the shelves uh so they would usually appreciate me not being involved in that process because they'd be like yeah, there's this bug in this little story moment, but <laughs> I think we're good to go. And I'll be there like, no, you that's the whole, you can't, that bug is, you can't, that's the worst. Um, so like her story as this digital thing that I self-published was great because it was the first time I had kind of, I mean, also nerve-wracking being part of the whole thing and click the button to release um, and realizing like the scale of what digital looks like. Um, you know, releasing a game and suddenly there are people in 200 countries downloading it simultaneously, you know, the number of eyeballs. Um, but, you know, 2015 was, there were less games coming out. Um, like the phone market was, I guess, hitting a level of maturity. Um, like everyone had phones, people were playing games on the App Store. Uh, there were some notable cool games on the App Store. Um, it's so like 2019, a uh, hundred times as many games coming out. Um, the phone market has kind of continued on a certain trajectory. Um, I think the most interesting thing to me was when her story came out, everyone was still on forums, right? So hmm. a game like that with questions and, and mysteries and stuff, like it was, it would stay on the front page of all the forums because the thread would just keep getting longer as people played and shared their theories and you kind of stuck around in the discussion. 
for weeks by being that kind of thing. Um, and I think when Telling Lies came out, um, a ton of games came out. So I think we had like two weeks in the spotlight, essentially, where reviews were coming out and people were talking about it. Um, but you, because everyone's discussing things on social media or Reddit or private little things, like Discord, you don't quite have that same thing that you used to have of like, oh, this is the thing we're talking about this month. And you kind of stick around on the top of the forum. So um, are you kind of craving feedback? You're like searching around trying to find like, where are the discussions happening about telling lies? Yeah, I think it's, it's less the feedback because you're still seeing people play it and getting cool DMs and stuff. Uh, and you're seeing like, the press. It's more like getting other people to talk to other people over a, a length of time. Um, but I think it's true of all media. Uh, you know, there are more shows. You don't have the thing you used to have of we're all watching the same show because there's only like 10 shows that are worth watching right now. Yeah. And we have a week to talk about it. Like that general thing of discussing stuff has changed. Um, so that was like definitely interesting to see because uh, it was all like when I made her story, it wasn't conceived of as being this discussion generator. And then when that happened, I was like, oh, that's cool. Yeah. That, yeah. You know. uh, so, you know, so I think the fact that you didn't quite have as much of that dimension on Telling Lies uh, was truer to like how I play my own games, where it's like, I'm going to go on this personal journey deep into this thing and dig around in it and come out of it several hours later and kind of blink for light. Right. Um, but, you know, the reception for the thing was, was, was pretty good. It was... There were points where I was terrified because it was, despite it being like my whatever number game this is that I put out, because her story was the game that had my name on it and you know blew up in a way. So many people, this was like the second game, um, and was you know they were anticipating a follow-up to her story. So uh, I was very conscious of like how much can you change how much can i mess with the formula um and there's this very fun thing when you create something as uh say unique or different as her story um like if i was making a military first person shooter i could tweak the reload mechanic and everyone would be like oh my gosh this is like this is really innovative, interesting, and they've really changed the genre sure. in a way we couldn't imagine. Um, but when you have something as fundamentally different to most games as her story, and you change half of the game, people are like, "Oh, it's the same game. <laughs> this is like the same thing." A webcam it's, thing, it's, it's, got it? Yeah, yeah. yeah but non-linear it... videos, we get it. It's the same thing. Right, um, right. So, like, I knew, I, I, so I didn't know how will people react to this? Like in my head, telling lies is very different to her story. Um, and they on the surface have very similar mechanics, um, but the feel of it, the scope of it, like just even the core minute to minute experience of it is very different. Um, they have kind of different goals and, and kind of ambitions. So yeah, I was really interested slash nervous to see like how did that play out and i think on the whole it worked i think it's definitely like there are people that prefer telling lies people that prefer her story um i think generally people get that this is this bigger more ambitious thing 
Um, I think there's, there's definitely someone that uh, is attracted to the puzzly nature of her story, of which there is maybe less of in Telling Lies. It's um, more just a complex story overall. Yeah, it's more of a sprawling, messy, deliberately messy kind of thing. Um, but yeah, so they, you know, it, it generally went down well. You know, critically did really well. Uh, got some great, insightful reviews. Um, so yeah, I'm. It's with that much kind of uh, anticipation on my side. Like it feels like not dodging a bullet, but it feels like cool. We got away with it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we we didn't we didn't fall flat on our faces. That's <laughs> that's what we need to be doing. Uh, um, but yeah, it, uh, gave me the confidence to be even more ambitious and silly with the next thing. Nice. Um, yeah. What uh, what can you tell us about the next project here? Uh, I think I can be very mysterious because um, I have like a bunch of people working with me now who. Uh, have marketing plans and things so <laughs> i can't just throw stuff up on twitter and uh and they'll be like oh we weren't going to mention that for six months right um, so it's, it's tying in with the publisher you're this is a whole new project well, here? with uh the current plan is to self-publish uh but like we're building a, a an internal team here and we got some funding so um it's going to be fun um but it's the cool thing about it is which i think i can reveal uh is that it's it's kind of in the horror supernatural space. Um, so you know, I the good games that I, I made some very bad games when I started out in this industry, as everyone does. Like this is uh, people don't realize like when they see a sucky movie tying game or like they watch some awful B movie, it's like these things need to exist so that people can come in, learn their trade, and build up from that. So I worked on some very bad games, um, but then I got to work on Silent Hill um, and to correct. The earlier statement. I worked on uh, Origins and Shattered Memories, not on Homecoming. Oh, Homecoming! Um, I'm which sorry. I think was sandwiched in between the two. Yes, yes, yes. Um, but at that time in the industry, it was incredible because I had like grown up interested in weird narrative things. Uh, I had like my first my first hit in inverted commas was this uh, indie text game that I released in 1999 called Isle, which was this very experimental story thing uh that got something of a cult following um but you know then i went into the industry and i was working on stuff that was like serious sam and uh an extreme motocross game and the tie into the nicholas cage ghost rider movie hell yeah uh things like that um and so you know i in my heart i had this passion for like doing narrative things and we got a chance to work on silent hill and really this would have been like in the early 2000s, there were very, very few game franchises that gave you permission to, to care about story. Hmm. Um, like I remember so many times, uh, especially so Shattered Memories of those projects was the one where I actually got to come in and it, have the idea and write the story and we kind of created this thing, uh, conceived fully as a thing. Um, and so many aspects of that game were like somewhat innovative at the time and producers would be like, Oh, we don't like this idea like this. Why can't you just do X, Y, Z? And then they'd kind of sigh and be like, I guess it is silent Hill. So it'd be like, <laughs> you, this story is about uh, the conflicted grief of a teenage girl. And 
going to have these long, slow periods, which are just kind of sad. And you want to make people feel bad or maybe even bored at this point, And then you want to make them feel like uncomfortable. Oh, I guess it's Silent Hill. <laughs> we can't say no to Cause, anything. Because yeah. otherwise, like, as a lead designer, whatever I did, at some point, a producer would say, but is it fun? They're like, games should be fun all the time. If this isn't fun right now, it shouldn't be in the game. Uh, and obviously, trying to tell stories, you're, you're dealing with a broader palette than just fun. Um, so getting to work on Silent Hill uh, was a huge thing for me. Um, and I love psychological horror. I love thrillers. I love weird, dark stuff. Um, and, you know, to some extent, uh, you know, her story and telling lies have those themes in them. Uh, and obviously her story is slightly more gothic. Uh, telling lies goes to some very dark places. But um, with this new project, we are getting to play in the, the the horror toolkit again, which is like really fun. So do you uh, see it kind of as a spiritual successor to Shutter Memories then? Uh, it's... No, I'm trying not to be spoilery now. Because uh, I had a good answer to that, which was spoilery. Um, <laughs> it's very much, it's like, oh, we've been playing around with this non-linear video thing in her story and telling lies. Oh, here is a different thing we can do with that that seems... Uh, challenging to pull off, but let's try. Um, and and just like having the ability to uh, screw around more because it's horror is, I think, initially the fun thing with this project. Because obviously, to some extent, her story in telling lies there is there is some suspension of disbelief. But in theory, these are government pieces of software that have videos on them that have been recorded for a reason um, and there is a functionality that makes sense. Um, so going into a place where we can uh, deal with some of the fun stuff you get in uh, Silent Hill type setups where we can um, kind of play with the fabric of reality. So do you think cool. do you think the supernatural aspect helps you like explore different parts of like the FMV framework? Cause it, like you mentioned earlier, a lot of people see like, um, that, that that there aren't a lot of differences between telling lies and her story, even though they seem very like they have they're very different in that frame. But do you think that like okay, well we have a horror setup, we don't have to be confined by the idea of a webcam when we're doing something with FMV. Um, yeah, I mean it's more like what are we doing with the story, right? So uh, her story, you know, the the trick there is this is essentially it's almost theater. The whole thing is a series of monologues from this actress who is telling a story. And that story exists outside of this interrogation room. So you get the whole breadth of her life, but it's this, this single uh, kind of performance, mostly through dialogue and telling lies is again, it's like very different because you're actually seeing into people's lives. And we have this story that spans two years. So you're seeing all these different people in different situations and it's, there's still a constraint, like you're seeing these people's lives through this very blinkered kind of view of a webcam that is turned on because there's a reason why it's being turned on at this point in time. Um, uh, but, you know, in both cases, uh, the, the reality is fixed. Uh, you are, I try not to say too much, but like you, uh, you know, in, in telling lies, everything behaves. Um, so, you know, the, the, the 
time makes sense. People's actions line up. There is like a factual reality to it. And I think what I loved about Silent Hill and a lot of my favorite horror is blurring the lines between like a fixed reality and the psychological reality of the characters and having those things bleed into each other, even to the point where like some of my favorite like horror books, it's never entirely clear what is real and what is is fantasy and, and you know right. what is in someone's head and what is not. Um, and some of those questions I think get uh, are interesting in the same way that like uh, like the process of playing her story and telling lies is to start out with a very vague picture of this world, and slowly you add detail to that world and build up a picture of it. Um, so it's possible if you play a lot of telling lies to have a pretty concrete picture of who is doing what, where, why. Um, and like that is, like I compare that to playing a Metroid game and building up a mental map of the world. Like by the end of playing Super Metroid, you pretty much know this planet inside out, how it connects, you know the shortcuts between here and here. Um, and what I love about the Metroid games is that gives you a, uh, it makes it feel real to me. The fact that those worlds are lived in by me, that they've become repetitive, like not repetitive, they, I've become used to them. Uh, when I run through a room, I'm not necessarily absorbing the information. I'm replaying it in my head as I kind of rush to kind of speed run or, you know, cut corners, whatever. Um, and so that for me is what's interesting about like her story and telling lies is you become familiar with these characters in this world. And initially it's just this big disparate bunch of fragments. And then slowly you start to understand more and different bits of information will connect parts of the story. Um, and that sense for me is what radically makes it different to watching a TV show or a movie is this sense of like living in the story and your brain actually internalizing it and kind of putting the pieces together. Um, and I think what's interesting about taking that to a horror place is like there is no solid ground. Um, it's slightly more antagonistic towards the audience. Um, so that's that's like a fun texture. That yeah. Be playing with. Uh, I know it's a it's a weird time to develop a game, but do you have any ballpark for when this thing might see the light of day? Uh, I think we're it's uh, very early twenty twenty two, which is like this. I hate the dates of sci fi now. <laughs> we're, we're looking at like a schedule at the start of the year, and it was like, oh my god, all all these milestones are happening, like in in. Blade Runner. Uh, <laughs> like you, you can't, with a serious face, be like, "Well, let's hit Q1 2022" without feeling like you're a villain. Yes. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, I don't know at what point. Maybe it will never. Maybe I'll never get used to it. I don't know at what point do the dates I'm living in stop feeling like sci-fi dates? Maybe that's just a generational curse. But I don't know. Yeah, I don't think it'll happen. We'll be telling our grandkids like, "No, doesn't it feel like sci-fi though?" And they'll be like, "What are you talking about? It's just <laughs> 2073. Just shut up, old man." Uh, so telling oh, us, if we're alive in 2073, that's that's optimistic. I like. That. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm banking on. It. I think things are feeling pretty positive around the world right now. Uh, telling lies on consoles. When's it shipping? And on what platforms? Uh, it is. Uh, out early next week uh i'm gonna say tuesday but i don't know what a day is even anymore. <laughs> so okay i feel like at that kind of yeah if you wake up and you feel like it's a tuesday right uh maybe it's out uh and it's gonna be on the uh, playstation xbox and switch um and it's 
it's it's been fun. We knew going into this that we wanted to make this one kind of work in a console setup. Um, but something that I was surprised by was like when we when we released on mobile and PC, uh, people would say to me like, "Oh, which should I play it on? Like, which is better? Which did you design it for?" And I'd be like, "I honestly can't choose between the two because." When I play it on a phone, it's like this is literally the phone that I use to FaceTime my wife. Right. So that feels super weird. And I've had people tell me I was playing it in public and people thought that I was like speaking to a cam girl in this cafe. Perfect. Yeah, of course. Weird. Um, so that is like a super interesting thing that you like. If you have this device that you are using in your life to intimately connect with your loved ones. And so that feels very interesting and resonant. But then when I play it on my laptop, uh, the character in the game is sat in front of a computer. So I'm sat in front of a computer and, it, and, and you know, your worlds merge. Like I was testing this game in my apartment in New York and I was sat with my laptop and like there's a soundscape in the game of a Brooklyn apartment with noises moving around and stuff to bed you in. And there were points where I was starting to lose like, is that noise happening in my apartment or in the game? So, like, you know, playing on a computer gave you that sense of really merging with the protagonist. Um, but then when we started putting it on console, I'm sat in my living room. The uh, Certainly with my telly, uh, it goes from being, uh, you know, characters on your laptop or on your phone to almost being kind of life-size. And because the characters are all in these domestic settings, it suddenly becomes like a portal into someone else's living room or someone else's bedroom. And like all these scenes, a lot of these scenes are these very, you know, intimately paced moments where you're glimpsing into someone's, you know, these, these most of these locations are living rooms, bedrooms, kitchens. Like these are people's everyday lives and these very intimate conversations and settings. And that suddenly felt like, whoa, this is like a really interesting thing to be doing in my living room and obviously with the console you can kind of sit back and it's a little bit more relaxed um it's obviously very uh very heavily supports couch co-op like you can just sit yeah. and play it with a significant other and you it's like the design of the game is all that stuff you would normally do when you're watching a tv show together like that's the game like you're watching a murder mystery with your significant other and you're sat there going like oh the husband did it. No, right. no, they didn't. No, they did. Look at the way he's, look, you can tell. Just look at his eyes. Or, oh, look, the, the uh, I don't know, what's a good murder weapon? Uh, like, oh, look, look, the Splatoon amiibo uh, <laughs> in the corner. Like, why is that there? The amiibo should be in the games room. Like, oh, and, you know, you're kind of uh, digesting it in that way. So playing this on a couch, uh, interestingly, kind of... Uh, is the same thing and and you know it's it, again it's cool to be on a tv as we blur the boundaries between what is yeah a tv show and what is a game um here's a so, here's a dumb yeah. specific question for you uh typing on the consoles mm -hmm. is there any way to bypass the ui from the consoles for entering text is there any way to keep it in game or is that just a necessary kind of abrupt transition of like here's the ps4 typing screen that that is an annoying necessity but um that said like when we designed the game um like there's a whole way of playing it 
where when you're watching a scene play out and someone says something, so uh, let's come up with a non-spoilery invented example. Uh, you know, someone is like, hey, I got that banana you sent me. You can just stop and click, just quickly select an, an X on banana and it spits you oh, that's into good. the search for banana. So, um, and in actual fact, like this, coming what i really wanted to try and force people to do and i didn't succeed with everybody like i was really surprised with her story at how much fomo people had like you know people filling up books of all their notes yeah and wanted to chase down every clue and extract everything and part of it was like in that game you had like a map of all the things you had seen so you could see there are two clips i have not found and so people, and I, I remember being stunned that I think on Steam at least, it's something like 25% of people 100%ed the game. That's pretty uh, good. And like most games, that's not even a percentage for people finishing the game, right? Like people notoriously do not play games that they buy. Um, but I, with telling lies, like the scope is much bigger. And I wanted, like I said earlier, like it's deliberately messy. Like I wanted it to feel like you're in and amongst these people's lives and that they were big sprawling lives um and kind of jump between the bits and pieces and enjoy the kind of free association between uh things people were saying you know get this really interesting feeling of seeing a scene where uh you know you could have theoretically uh, a scene where two people meet for the first time um and it's like the meet cute and it's all happy and lovely and then immediately contrasting that with the scene where they have a violent breakup, right? Like one of my favorite directors, Nicholas Rogue, like this was his technique. Like he would chop up and juxtapose different bits of time um, to create this thing that felt like human memory. Um, So with Telling Lies, that for me was a big part of the experience. So we, we wanted this idea of rather than like strip mining every clip for every piece of information and then kind of carefully choosing what to type in and search next. It was like, Oh, if you see banana and that's interesting, like, boom, you can jump into banana and leap. And now you listen to something else and then you see something there and then you jump into something else. So for me, I think like the, yeah, it's, it's entirely possible to, and I pretty much play the game on console without ever typing. Um, nice. just using that. And you have like this, um, again, like these are, these are very, they seem like very small features on the surface, but uh, conceptually they're bigger, but like you can bookmark. Uh, so you're watching something and someone says something interesting. You can just hit the bookmark button and that's now stored in this list of bookmarks that you can kind of sort through and organize as like, a, you know, the equivalent of like having to write down something. And so, you know, if there's a thread you want to follow up, you can just bookmark that and then you come back and jump back into it. So it's like, it's, and especially now, where you know, possibly some people have lots of time to sit and immerse themselves in a fictional world. Um, like there is a very nice vibe here of playing on a console, sitting back, just kind of watching these things unfold, scrubbing through this footage, seeing something interesting, zoop, jump into that. Um, and you know, you, we, we tried to build enough features that you can just kind of follow your curiosity, bounce around things. And then when you're, you hit a dead end or you want to, try a different tack you can just be like oh what were the different things i was searching against what are these things i've bookmarked um and kind of jump into it that way yeah 
Awesome. So yeah, I think, yeah, the, the keyboard thing was something we were actively trying to uh, get away from. It's there as a backup if you're like, oh, I really just want to try this word. I thought, oh, like, I feel like that's a thing. Um, yeah. Yeah. Perfect. Well, hey, Sam, thanks so much. Looking forward to checking out on the console. So best of luck with the launch. Thank you. And uh, I'm sorry. Oh, perfect. I'm sorry that uh, Surreal is uh, a missing number from Pokemon for a majority of the interview. It's just <laughs> you're kind of like a glitchy piece of storytelling throughout the, the interview. Yeah, so people right. can piece it together at home exactly what Sam is trying to convey about the nature of humanity through Surreal's glitched face. Always just censoring something very obscene. <laughs> How dare you call Surreal obscene? Okay, you want to clap out there, Sam? Okay, I'm going to clap myself out. This has been great. Thanks, guys. Look out. Here comes Troll. Jeffum and Kyle back in the house. Uh, let's see. Jeffum, do you know how this whole thing operates? Uh, spider juice? Spider juice. And the important support of people on Patreon.com slash Midnext2Ends. If you support us at any tier, you get access to the Discord, which, again, is just a lovely place to find people who are playing the same games you're playing, find people to play with. There's community game nights. I think they were just playing Gears 5, but they rotate through different games and just get everybody together. And it's a nice, nice bonding experience in these kind of separating times. So you can check that out. Uh, at the $100 tier, you can put whatever you want on the TV behind us on the set. Uh, you can plug a project that you're passionate about, anything like that. Uh, we should be okay with the images. But... We should especially thank Brandon Sylvia here with Easygoing Gaming. Easygoing Gaming is extremely excited to be one of MinMax's monthly Patreon sponsors. I chose to advertise on this channel because it's a channel I watch and enjoy regularly. Therefore, I felt this was the most organic form of advertising I could do for my new YouTube channel. Easygoing Gaming is a YouTube channel dedicated to covering all things relating to the world of video games, with videos ranging from news and reviews to lists and predictions. I hope to provide a little more of everything for everyone. I've been a lifelong gamer, and I'm excited to share that love and passion with a community as passionate as the MinMax community. So please search Easygoing Gaming channel, and you can find it on YouTube there and check it out. Uh, go there. Check out one of his videos. He's got his review of Final Fantasy VII Remake. He's uh, released a video that's the top 20 games of the decade. So check out Easygoing Gaming. You can find it by just searching a Google Easygoing Gaming channel and uh, leave him a nice comment. You can uh, subscribe to his YouTube channel. Uh, I'm sure I'm sure Brandon would appreciate it. Also, he, he probably liked Final Fantasy, right? I think he's I'm scared to watch the review for spoilers, but I would oh, imagine he did. Yeah. Uh, having played that game, I would imagine he loves it. <laughs> I'd imagine it's like one of the highlights of his adult life if I had to just project uh, how I'm feeling about it. Uh, so also, I'm 8-Bit is still a sponsor of MinMax. They're just fantastic. Please thank them for supporting MinMax by tweeting nice things at them or checking out their online store. You can use the promo code MinMax to get 10% off anything. Their store is filled with unbelievable soundtracks. If you want a lot of very great video game soundtracks on vinyl, it's a great place to check it out. Uh, they have the Inside Limited Edition that Kyle's so fond of, and they want that's to a, let people know. Spoiler, man. Talking about a spoiler avoiding. You got to buy that box blind from IMAP. <laughs> I guess you're right. Uh, they're also selling the Watam vinyl soundtrack, which includes the innovative packaging, which includes the pop out mayor hat, which is fantastic. If you want a vinyl soundtrack that has a hat on it, look no further than the Watam vinyl soundtrack on IM8Bit Store. It has music by Asuka, Brad, Sam, and Timmy, and album art by Keita Takahashi himself. It is a very cool presentation overall for a great soundtrack. So, IM8Bit, they're so generous. Every week they ship out an amazing prize. It could be random, uh, it could be the Doki Doki Literature Club, perhaps, uh, vinyl soundtrack this week. But they ship out an amazing prize uh, from their online store to the MinMax community out of sheer generosity. 
you know, we're helping them. They're helping us. I'd love to keep this thing rolling. Uh, so please show them some support by going to their store and checking it out. And now we're going to get to our community questions and our number one favorite community question. We're going to honor with the question of the week and then I'm 8-Bit will ship out something very nice to them. Uh, but we can't do these questions alone. No. We have been, but... <laughs> it's, no, it's not terrible. conceivable it's that we terribly. could ever do it on our own. So we need some real experts from the podcasting world and the video game world. So look at this. Hey! My God in heaven, we have so many wow. people here. I'm sorry for the layout <laughs> on the screen. Uh, we have Kirk Hamilton. Hello. We Hi have there. Maddie Myers. Hey. And we have Jason Schreier. Hello. The new team, I guess, is it fair to call you a new team behind the Triple Click podcast? Yeah. Yes. I, I mean, it's a new podcast. Same team as has been a team on other things, but, yeah. but new podcast, so sure. New in spirit. Okay, yeah. so it's like a spiritual successor to Kotaku Split Screen. That is right. accurate, sure. Okay. With, with <laughs> an entirely too sexy theme song, by the way. Oh, oh yeah. All right. Very That's good. all Kirk and the saxophone. <laughs> Way to Cheers. go, dude. I got to compliment you guys out of the gate for the name. I saw that, and it's rare to see a name for something in games press or really anything these days where you stop and think, oh, they nailed it. That's really good. Triple click, simple, nice. to the point. Thank you. Uh, was it a tough process to come up with that one? We was yeah. uh yeah, yeah we can we went through a lot of names. Yeah, we, we went through a lot we of did. names. We definitely talked them through. Um mm -hmm. we decided we wanted to sign it we decided between two and one became triple click and then one became our LLC name. Um, <laughs> so it's we, yeah. we were economical. We used everything that we came up with. Perfect. We did. I'm still obsessed with names ever since like starting Minmax and stuff, and it's just stupid huge list of names. But still every time I'll think of something and write it down. Like I think we had a stream earlier on, we we're playing some game and somebody said Eat the item. I was like, you know what? Eatthitem.com is that a very is good. good video gamey mm -hmm. thing that is wide open. And yeah, another one that's that, a segment that, title. Right yeah, there for you. Ooh, yeah, good one. Or the, I'm still obsessed yeah. with it. There is a song by Five Iron Frenzy called The Wizard Needs Food Badly, which is a lot like Eat the Item. It's pretty close. Well, All right. It's not a bad name. It's connected sure. in some way. Pretty good. Uh, so starting a new podcast. Um, what's the process? What's the format? How much did you guys spitball? What did you land on? What are you going for here? Oh, man. Okay, do I get an answer? So, okay, so we've been doing Kotaku Split Screen. Well, Jason and I have been doing Kotaku Split Screen for like five years. Jay, uh, Maddie joined the show, I guess, full-time in 2018. Is that right? No, 2019. At the end of 2018. So we started the podcast, Jason and I, with no idea what we were doing. And you know, we hadn't podcasted before, so there was a lot of just figuring it out as we went. Those early episodes are just us kind of talking and there's not a lot of structure and then and we kind great. of added structure <laughs> right they're great they're fun i mean they are fun episodes but uh we got better at it as we went and by the time maddie had joined it was like okay we're gonna actually have a structure we're gonna put on a do a show with like a middle section and then a first section and an off-topic section and so it's kind of a continuation of that process i guess making a new show it's nice it. it's nice to have a fresh start i guess because mm -hmm. it lets us say hey this is a new thing to new people where I think Split Screen was much, much better as a show in the last year, six months of the show than it was in the first six months. But it's hard when people have heard the first six months and are like, okay, whatever, this is like another video game podcast or it's this thing when it became something else over those five years. Yeah, so I, guess, and I think a lot yeah. of people didn't realize that I had joined and that it was a new right. kind of new show once I joined. Mm -hmm. And that was sort of hard to message too. Like I'd be like, right. oh, I also have a video game podcast now. And people didn't know that. So this is a much more concrete 
starting of a show with the three yes. of us specifically. And we got the chance to rethink the format, which mostly mm -hmm. Jason came up with the new format. So That's true. yeah, well, so a couple of things. So first of all, one of the biggest differences between now and in the past is that our company has never really known how to do podcasts, unlike a lot of companies which are good at like having audio departments, um, like Vox Media or whatever else. Um, our company just never, never nailed that. So we were always doing our own thing and kind of like on the side from every Everybody else with no real mm -hmm. institutional support. Part of that was because Kirk can edit and produce the show on his own, so we didn't need help. But also, we never got like promotion or publicity or help from anybody in any real way, which we are now able to get because Triple Click is part of the Maximum Fun Network, which is this incredible network of shows. Um, yeah, they're very cool. Vendors, turns out, yeah. <laughs> like Don Lodgman, yeah, tons of Maddie's a huge fan. She got us in touch with those people, and yeah, yeah, it's been awesome working with them. They're fantastic. I can't say enough good things about them. I'm really excited about that. Um, yeah. And then, so the other thing is like, I think one of the cool things about Triple Click, and one of the things we're trying to do pretty deliberately as we launch the show and move forward with it, is we're not trying to be like uh, a giant bomb cast or a min max or an easy allies. We're not going to be the show where we just are talking about every single piece of game news, every single game that we've ever played for four hours a week or anything like that. I think we're more of a complement to what a show like this does what, what and a channel with what a channel like this does in that we are going to be hopefully around 45 minutes a week. We are going to be talking about focus, pretty focused topics, ideally topics that you'll be able to like listen through the whole backlog and still find interesting over time. Um, but a lot of what we're trying to do is just kind of talk about games from an approachable way, even if you're not the biggest, most hardcore gamer in the world. And I so think we're saying is we're not your direct competition. So <laughs> oh, thank God. <laughs> Oh, room in the world for all of us. Okay. Um, I think if you're a hardcore gamer, you'll you'll enjoy the show. But um, sure. But, but, I, I, I but think if you're not, you might too. Well, exactly. That's if interesting. You're not, you might too. I get one of the things I've loved about split screen over the past couple of years, especially, is just hearing from listeners who are like, "Hey, I kind of stopped playing video games, but listening to you guys every week makes me feel like I can just like get in touch with that because you talk mm -hmm. about these games in this approachable way that doesn't require like checking Resetera every day, reading Kotaka every day, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> so that's something that we're really proud of and like trying to move forward with, with this show. So that's yeah. been cool. Too. Now, I don't want to tell everybody what their brand is or anything, but when I think of this group, you're a very smart group. You know the industry well. Don't, okay, don't you think that people are coming <laughs> to this group for some really specific industry insider stuff, but you're seeing the podcast, you're trying to cast a much broader net than that? Well, it can yeah. be both. I mean, I yeah. think that that uh, for example our pilot episode um so the way that the show is going to work is it's split into two segments and segment one segment one is like our main topic of the episode and segment two is the three of us each it's called one more thing and each of us is going to talk about something that we played or liked or just something we want to bring up that week um and se in segment one one of the things we're going to be doing in the first episode for example we're talking about vi video game language and visual language and the way that a beginner might pick up a video game and have no idea what certain things are like you would have no idea we were just talking about uh, uh, uh eat the eat the item right like you would have no idea what it even means to eat an item why right. why, why did this turkey leg in castlevania give me help right so we talked a bunch about that, and I think that's a conversation that anyone can find interesting. Um, and I think as we move forward, just bringing up sorts of like in-depth topic, topics like that, um, or anything, news analysis, whatever else, playing a video game, it allows us to kind of provide that in-depth insight without necessarily alienating people who are more of just like the, the I play one game a month type 
listener. Yeah. yeah. You see what I'm saying? So in other words, we want to have our cake and eat it too. Right. <laughs> I think it's also true that even the supposed casual listener is actually quite interested in those those in-depth industry takes that like Jason, for example, is so famous for doing because they can understand that gaming is a business and appreciate that lens because everybody understands how other businesses work. Why not also care about labor issues in games and hear about how games are made the same as any other art form? And that's always been an ethos we had at Split Screen and it's going to continue with Triple Click because that's mm -hmm. the ethos that the three of us have. Anyway, that's awesome. That's true. Uh, well, you're all here. This giant group is here to answer a bunch of questions from the MinMax community that supported us. Yes. Uh, or they left on the patreon.com. Uh, so Ricky Winterborn says, I did not expect my two favorite podcasts to collaborate, uh, but shout out to Kirk for the dope music on Triple Click. That trailer was epic. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Cheers. Did you write this question? <laughs> <laughs> that was, uh, that's actually, I'm writing that right now. Perfect. Uh, and then Ricky wants to know, is Maddie still working for Kotaku or how does this whole thing work? That's right. Okay. I still work there. <laughs> but split screen is stopping. It is on hiatus for now. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's all I can tell you about that. Love it. Uh, <laughs> Alex Brinegar says, question for Jason. Uh, I imagine it must have been a difficult decision to leave Kotaku. When did you decide slash know that you're going to leave? Was there anything you specifically wanted to do before leaving? Um, okay. So question one, when did I decide slash know that I was going to leave? Um, I definitely, I mean, leaving is always like leaving any sort of job. There are always a lot of factors involved, but I would say it's pretty easy to, to know exactly when I decided, because that is the day that Jim Spanfeller killed Deadspin. Um, and I won't get into the whole story. You can all look it up, but it was, I believe October 29th, 2019 was the day that I decided, um, basically the day that Dead, Deadspin was destroyed was the day I decided I could no longer be at Geo Media. And then I just decided to start reaching out to people and talking to people and figuring out what I was going to do next. Um, and yeah, I mean, there were definitely some stories that I really wanted to do before I left. One of them was uh, just a follow-up on how Rockstar has been doing since the launch of Red Dead 2, which I think was my final story or one of my final couple of stories. Um, and then, yeah, just a bunch of the things that I've published over the past few months have been just like me knowing, okay, I'm going to be out of here soon. This is my checklist of things I'm going to hit. Um, sadly, I think reviewing Final Fantasy VII Remake was actually... Oh, yeah, that was right. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. That was part of my timeline, actually. Yeah, and when it was delayed, I think I had to delay. I had like to delay my <laughs> that was perfect. how much he needed dibs on Final Fantasy. VII. I get it, man. Yeah, talk it, it worked out. It worked out well. Um, I think we were talking about we were gonna do one last GDC as Kotaku. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> no, that didn't. That didn't quite happen. <laughs> you can't always get what you want. Uh, by the way, Jason, this is so specific but uh we're doing what we call the deepest dive which is like a big community game club on final fantasy 7 remake right now nice. and we're just halfway through the game so please even something you wouldn't even consider a spoiler just please don't say it because we're on super sensitive mode like muting it on all channels all that type of thing so i appreciate yeah. your discretion Fair in the situation don't spill the beans no spilling yes, the beans thank you by uh, the way jason i like that move of posting your thing on Kotaku saying, hey, I'm leaving. I'm going to take a little break. I'm going to work on my book. And then like the next day, posting a big piece <laughs> on uh, New York Times. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's funny. Um, I actually, I had written that a couple of weeks ago. So yeah. it, it, the timing worked out. Yes, the timing was funny. I was actually a little worried that that because I was that was just like a freelance piece. I did a couple of pieces for the Times just because I had the opportunity to. I was worried that one of those was going to go up between when I announced I was leaving Kotaku and before I announced my new job, which is I'm going to Bloomberg News. And then I was worried I was going to get a thousand questions being like, oh, my God, you're going to the New York Times. But fortunately, I was able to dodge that. Yeah. Uh, 
So Bloomberg News, uh, what was that process like? Um, yeah, well, so I started talking to them a few months ago. Um, it was a long, a lot of these job, job situations are like long processes. Um, I remember I, cause I was talking to them back when people could actually meet other people in person. So I went down to their office, um, <laughs> which is wild. Um, and I talked to a couple of the editors on their tech team, um, and wound up really impressed. I mean, they had been wanting to hire a games reporter and, um, I think they, so they, what they told me essentially was that they are very interested in doing the sorts of stories that I've been doing at Kotaku for the past couple of years, um, stories about labor issues and systemic problems in the video game industry and crunch and um, a lot of the things that I've been talking about behind the scenes, game development stories. And uh, they, I mean, they essentially said it was like, uh, I think I had, I reached out to someone and then they got back to me and there was back and forth conversation. They were like, oh my God, like we were going to reach out to you. And I was like, oh, this works out nicely. And so we started <laughs> talking and um, it wound up, I was very impressed. I was a little skeptical um, about a few things. Like one is that I just having worked at Gawker for so many years and the company that Gawker became, I'm very used to like the type of kind of grassroots environment where like Kotaku was like no more than 15, 16 people ever. And if I needed, if I had a question, like the CEO, Nick Denton is like sitting across from me over there or like the HR person is like one guy with a notepad. And there was a lot of like stuff, a lot of flexibility and a lot of kind of autonomy that you could have at that atmosphere. So I was a little skeptical about going into like a super corporate, like thousands and thousands of people environment, but I'm excited. I'm excited about that and excited about the new stuff. Um, a lot of the decision for me came down to it being just like a stable newsroom full of just like super talented journalists who I felt like I could learn a lot from. And also just being a, a new challenge. I really wanted to do something new that wasn't just like going to another game site and doing sorts of similar work to what I'm doing now. Um, so that was super appealing to me. A lot of things were really appealing to me about the job and um stoked, stoked to get started. Yeah. Uh, now we're partial to it, but did you ever consider just going out on your own, starting a Patreon, like, hey, long form investigative pieces, uh, pay up people. I mean, I don't want to tell you what to do, but it seems like that could have been a solid route for you. That is an avenue that I don't think many people are doing. Well, so the three of us definitely talked about it for our podcast. Yeah. Ultimately decided mm -hmm. MaxFun was a better option for a lot of reasons. And we're very stoked about that. I never really thought about it seriously for writing for a lot of reasons. I mean, for one, it's it's uh, with video shows and podcasts and anything that's like the the world of personality content, you can stick to a schedule with reports with stories with investigations you can't stick to a schedule because like a story could fall apart for all sorts of reasons or a story could need more time and just to uh, the the idea of promising like i'm going to do this thing once a month is just not something that could work for a variety of reasons the other thing is i don't know if you know this but the u.s doesn't give you health insurance uh, <laughs> oh crap out, that's a thing I guess you need a job to have health insurance. <laughs> I mean, just had a baby girl a few months ago. I, that was that was a very big factor. I think that that uh, yeah. I mean, if 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 I didn't have a kid when the Deadspin stuff went down, I might have been tempted to just like quit then and there. But just having knowing that I have to 
pay for health insurance, like knowing that my daughter has to be on this health insurance and going to pediatrician appointments. That was a big thing also. And then the other thing is the lawyers. Like you, people don't think about this a lot, but like when you do an investigative re reported piece on anything, um, lawyers might come after you and there's no lawyers on Patreon. You don't get law legal support on Patreon <laughs> and all this other stuff. That's just like part of journalistic institutional support is just really important. And plus like having editors and journalists around you to learn from like yeah. that, that to me is one of the biggest draws of a place like Bloomberg is like, I'm going to this newsroom full of people who just have been doing this for years and writing books and have all this journalistic experience. And I'm super excited to just like go in and like when, when we can go into things again, go in and observe, like absorb everything. I want to go in and just like ask people a million questions about things. Yeah, absolutely. So Kirk, is the plan overall to build Triple Click and the Mysterious LLC up as like your new main thing? Or what does your future look like? Well, my, uh, no, I think it'll be a side thing. So okay. I also do a music podcast called Strong Songs and I've been doing a lot of music. That's still my main focus um, is between that and like writing stuff and working on music. This is probably about the same size as Split Screen was for me, at least in my sort of wheelhouse, which is, you know, a couple day or two of uh, a week of work. But yeah, we want to build it up and we want it to be a really cool thing. I don't think we're imagining, you know, starting a whole games media empire or anything. Like, I think we're a little more, I don't want to speak for Maddie and Jason, but it's more like, let's make a show that we like making every week that people like listening to. That's a sustainable thing that we can do that fits in with, you know, Jason has his own career. Maddie has her own career. I have my own thing that I'm doing. And that we can just do and have fun with. Just the thing that you do. <laughs> well, I have a. I mean, it's like a little less. Like it's not a. It's not one job, right? Like I do oh, a lot. That's of, like a self short man. Um, <laughs> it's, like a it's not a capital yes, C I, career. I have, I have a, saxophone is a career too. It is. It is. It's so a at least for a few yeah. more years. Very demanding. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I think it's a little more of that scope, and we want to keep it sustainable and kind of focus on that. Yeah, yeah. I would say it's also true that we're really happy we own our own show. And yes. that we get a lot of creative control over the show without saying anything about Geo Media. I'll say that I'm very happy that Triple <laughs> Click is ours and yes. it belongs to the three of us. Mm -hmm. and Max Fun has been super supportive of that. That's what their network is all about. And that's a big reason why we did it this way. Yeah, congratulations. Yeah. It really feels fantastic as somebody and as a group that kind of made that leap recently. It's so yeah. bizarre. Yeah, I didn't expect it. you guys as well. Oh, you thanks so much. much. For, some of us were pushed off a ledge. We all landed. So some of us jumped yeah. for fun. <laughs> yeah. But it is weird sad, like how sad, much more... Sad, sad, sad. Yeah, it's it's weird, like how much more sensitive you are, both to like the positives and negatives. You know, like every time I see somebody leave the patron, it's like, oh, I didn't expect this to actually change my mood throughout the day. And I think like when it's your own <laughs> oh, thing, it's bizarre yeah. how much more of a roller coaster it is than I expected. Oh God, that seems yeah, I would be unhealthily obsessing also. <laughs> you can, I mean, so Strong Songs has a Patreon, and you can obsess over it or not. I find like it's, I guess it depends on your personality, but. It's nice not having, now that TripleClick is its own thing that we control, Strong Songs is also completely independent, and those are my two primary income sources, it is pretty cool being totally in control of all the things that I make like for yeah. the first time. That is a wonderful feeling. Yeah, mm -hmm. absolutely. Well, hey, we have a lot more questions we should probably dive into here. Uh, Mark Simon is a good industry talker for everybody. Do you think potential next-gen console delays would even matter? There's such a rich set of games for current-gen. I put together a lockdown backlog spreadsheet lockdown backlog spreadsheet is a good phrase uh, and there's it 60 is. games on it uh just for playstation 4 i play games every day too there's no rush for next gen right so a broad question do you think it even matters 
I mean, it depends on who you're talking about. Lines <laughs> right. Right. Yeah, there's a consumer perspective, and then there's right. the other right. side. Right. I can think of one company that it's going to matter a whole lot to. <laughs> A certain retailer that right. uh, well, that's is certainly dying true. for the next for it to hit before holiday season. Yeah, but uh, speaking as somebody who also has a huge backlog, I gotta admit it's kind of nice to think to myself, maybe I'll finally play Chrono Trigger, which I've never played before. Mm-hmm. Like oh all those God. all those big gaming canon games, yeah. and I'm like, maybe someday, maybe someday. Now is the time for that. This right? is it's someday. True. We are living in someday. <laughs> We've hit it, everybody. The day has happened. <laughs> I I have a whole thing where I during like downtime, the like two months of downtime in the in the sort of late winter. And during the summer, I try to play one game at a time and finish them. I've been doing this since I left Kotaku because I don't have that obligation anymore of like, well, I'm an editor at Kotaku. I got to be playing all the things to like see what I want to write about. And that's a really great way to play games, I find, especially single player <laughs> games, like games that have endings and stories. And that, you know, I miss that when it become, when it starts getting busy. And that started happening this year when it's like, oh, Animal Crossing and Doom are coming out at the same time. Half-Life Alex is coming out. I've got to, I'm going to have a bunch of different games I have to play. And then suddenly, like, bam, it just stopped. And I can actually go back to doing that. <laughs> and just from my perspective, that is cool. Though, of course, right, it definitely matters for anyone who's, like, planning out their mm-hmm. company's, like, yeah. financial future based on all of these things <laughs> they've been planning for years. Like, that certainly matters in a in probably a catastrophic way for a lot of those companies. So, yeah. counterpoint, I don't think it would matter even if they did come out because people always forget how bad console launches are. There's no <laughs> reason ever to buy a video game console on launch because all of the third-party games are always cross-gen. And of the first-party games, there's maybe going to be, like, one that you're interested in. I mean, and come on, Killzone Shadow. Fall, that was a pretty fun game. <laughs> and Microsoft, no, it, it wasn't even that good. I'm PC. Anyway, so that really doesn't matter. Like, there's no, I, I doubt there will be much reason to buy either a PS5 or Xbox Series X like this fall, even if they do come out on time, unless you're like hardcore early adopter, have to have everything. In which case, maybe think about why you feel like you have to have everything. <laughs> yeah, but it's a weird thing too, if it's just going to be like an empty shell of a launch where they do somehow miraculously manage to push these things out the door and it's like, yeah, but all the software is delayed. I mean, I think that's a yeah. likely scenario, yeah. right? It's, it's Plus also all the especially supply chain issues as well. Like, how do you even yeah. really get those new consoles out the door, even if the factories can make them? I don't see how that is going to work. Yeah. It'll be yeah. interesting. Yeah, I also wonder how much. And then, do people have money to buy them? That's the other question, yeah. right? Yeah, mm-hmm. like a lot of the coronavirus stuff is going to be like pushing gaming as a priority. You know, right now it's really at the forefront because, like, hey, everybody want everybody needs to like pass time. But once. The idea of like, hey, you have to pay $500 for a new video game thing that feels more like a luxury than, than something you've got to have. I think people are going to second guess that. And then also with the expectation that, hey, you have pro versions of consoles hitting at some point. I wonder how many people feel burnt about having bought like a base mm. PS4 and mm. might just wait until like, well, by the time the pro version of the PS5 comes out, there'll be a, games that I actually want to play so I can just hold off until then. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Robbie Flanagan writes in and says, greetings, Corona loathing cohorts. It's a long story. We can't explain it. Triple click. I'm sorry. Um, With the tremendous successes (laughs) of Final Fantasy... explains itself. Well, the cohorts (laughs) thing. Never mind. With the tremendous successes of Final Fantasy VII and Resident Evil 2 and the seemingly decent response to RE3 make, uh, do you see the remake trend continuing for the foreseeable future? Do you think it would take a catastrophic flop of a remake to finally kill the trend? And finally, what's your pie-in-the-sky dream make? Okay, so that we'll save that for the second chunk. Um, could anything kill the trend? Is it possible for these big-budget remakes to flop in a big way? 
Oh boy. I mean, a terrible one, I guess, but I don't see that killing the trend just because the trend is, it kind of makes the argument for itself. It's like a game that people already know. So there's an established group of people who probably want it. People will be curious about it. No, it doesn't seem mm -hmm. to me like it's even It's also a, a trend in other industries right now too. Right, like exactly. So much other media is like either revisiting or remaking stuff from 20, 30 years ago. So games doing it too makes a lot of sense. Yeah. It's even, but it's way better in games because in games you can take a game that hasn't aged well and you can yeah. make it into this like resume. I thought a Star is Born was pretty good. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Where is the game really, adaptation of it? <laughs> good question. It's not, imagine a real, like there's no precedent for like Final Fantasy VII completely changing everything from the gameplay to like the script to like, yeah. like there's no remake in Hollywood that like changes the genre of, I guess you could say, like, are there, like, a musical version of an old movie? I'm sure people well, could come up with one. There's the gritty remake of Oklahoma. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah that's true. true. Yeah, in like, the new I guess, <laughs> I guess yeah. Clueless is, is, uh, is kind of like an interpretation of, uh, of that Shakespeare. Right? Play. Well, yeah, and Maddie, you said Watchmen. Actually, I think Watchmen's a great example. It like, is. That it is actually a... Uh, Final Fantasy VII yeah, level. Example. I mean, it's a yeah. sequel. It's not no, really a remake a re of Watchmen. Yeah. No, that's not. But it kind of is. I don't know. Adaptation of the themes of the original Watchmen, right. but iterates on them in a cool right. way. But it's, a, but it's like very much a continuation. Of nope, it's exactly like. I do feel this. I don't think any. Yeah, I, I'm with Kirk. I don't think anything will kill the remake trend because remakes are pretty cool and can be really good. I mean, you'll get the resident. Like, I would love to see a lot of older games. Especially because our this video game, the video game industry has just no respect for pres preservation of old mm -hmm. games. So if you're not gonna just like find ways to actually maintain your library of classics, then I guess the next best thing is to remake them for modern audiences and sell them again. Yeah, I think there's this idea of oh, they did Final Fantasy VII. Now Square can remake eight, and, and let's go nuts. Let's do six. Let's do all <laughs> these. I don't think people are appreciating the budget Final Fantasy VII Remake had and like how much effort that thing was. Yes, it right. is. Right. When Final Fantasy VII Remake ends in like the year 2035, people will find out right. like, oh, I see now why they didn't remake eight. Yeah, <laughs> it's not easy just to be like, you get a remake, you get a remake. It's like, no, this right. was, they had to move mountains of solid yeah. gold uh, just to make this thing happen, you know? Mm -hmm. um, yeah. But Pie in the Sky Dream Make, what would y'all like to be remade? What jumps to the top of your oh, minds? Man. I have one. Sweet got into. Okay, oh, with the full, okay. like, the production values of a 7 remake? No, really, I just want that game remade with, like, a new script. It can have the same graphics. Oh, I interesting. feel that. That's kind of my answer, too. It's more cheating because I really just want them to reboot Metroid as a series because Samus's canon has gotten so crowded and weird over the past several games and i don't think that's going to happen because metroid prime 4 is happening instead but for a while i was pretty sure they were going to reboot and remake all the metroid games i could that still be, be right cool. about that in like 10 years Who knows? Yeah. don't get maddie started on other end <laughs> has nintendo i love it no I don't. <laughs> has nintendo ever done a narrative reboot they've never had to before right right well they kind of have because samus returns came out and that is a remake of Metroid 2 for the Game Boy. I and I so. thought it was quite good. It sort of flew under the radar because it came out on 3DS around the same time that the Switch mm -hmm. came out and nobody was playing their 3DSs anymore except for me yeah. to play that game. But it's not like they haven't remade a Metroid game nice. and, in my opinion, improved it. Yeah. So could be done. Could be done. Could be done. Okay, I have one too. It's not ever probably going to happen, 
but I think it would be pretty cool to play a full, like a fully done up remake of Knights of the Old Republic. Mm, I like kind of think that a lot of people haven't played that game or like there are modern people who are into Star Wars who look at that game and just think, oh, it's it just is too old fashioned. It looks too old or it doesn't run on the system I want to play it on. And playing a version of that game that was completely redone. Pretty cool. It'd be amazing. What makes you think that's not ever going to happen? Well, there would be like because they would they would release like a remaster with like slightly well, better Star textures. Star Wars is going so well that like they won't ever need to yeah. go mine all the material. <laughs> That's true. I just, I feel like an actual remake of the game that like builds everything from the ground up would be cooler than a remaster with like slightly higher res graphics. But yeah. I feel like the latter is more likely probably. I yeah. also think if they're going to revisit Knights of the Republic as like a single player RPG, it's just going to be a new entry that's going to like incorporate mm-hmm. the new canon. Mm-hmm. Like they're, yeah, like you said, they're not, they're done with that sort of story. Right. Well, well, the new entry is the MMO. The MMO has the story of like well, that's true, 10 yeah. of those games all set right, in right. one. I do kind of yeah. want to do a deepest dive game club on the old Republic MMO. Like everybody chooses a different path. Cause I mean, I played through That'd one of them and I, one of the storylines, I thought it was really impressive actually. Like I really enjoyed mm-hmm. it, but I'm I've sure it's uh, not a lot of well. these MMOs between that and Final Fantasy 14 and Elder Scrolls online. It's all of these games. Nobody will ever have time for, but they all have these amazing storylines that have mm-hmm. just been iterated over years and years of development. And just people have time now, Jason. Now you have time, but you don't have money for all those. Money. <laughs> it <laughs> is the beautiful yeah. someday. Kirk, I, if I had, to make a, a prediction it would be that yours your your dream of a remake comes true all right you wow, tease okay, because nice. you tweeted a while like ago jason where you're like because there's so many rumors about a remake of old or nice little republic and then you tweeted something like if it is happening it's not happening at ea which also set the internet on fire trying to so, figure out what the hell you're talking about <laughs> ea yeah ea i guess they're i don't know exactly when their deal with lucasfilm expires they signed it in 2013 there were rumors that it was a 10-year deal which would make it 2023 i don't know if that's actually true if it's 10 years i, I i'm not 100 percent sure how long it is um but with uh, Knights of the Old Republic project. I mean, yeah, I know. It was, so Bioware at Bioware Austin, they would like they would talk about it a lot, and people really wanted to do it. But it was, as often happens, it was like one of those dangling carrots that, like, okay, we just got to do this thing, and yeah, then we're gonna get to pitch a a Kotor, then we're gonna gonna make a Kotor. I'm trying to remember the thing you talk about when you say do it. Do you do you mean remake Knights of the Old Republic, or do you mean make a new entry, like Kyle was talking about? I I think. Um, I have to be a little careful here. Uh-oh. I think all right, that, all right. don't say anything you can't say. If if there were to be a Codor remake, I think it might it, it would have to get through a lot of green lights. So it isn't the type of thing that you should get super excited about. I was getting excited, so I'm bummed. <laughs> well, but it's the type of thing <laughs> really getting worked up over here. People definitely <laughs> want it to happen. People yes, well, naturally, I was thinking like <laughs> one of them's right here. Yeah, mm-hmm. people in a position to make it happen want it to happen. Hmm. Okay. Uh, I was thinking about Dream Remake, and it's maybe a weird choice, but for a while I wanted Bethesda to make it, and, and now I don't want that so much anymore, but I want just a good, high-budget Oregon Trail. Wouldn't that be great? <laughs> That's great. Oh, I that love that. That is good. Just even, did you ever work? play Oregon Trail 2, the sequel that has all this, like, like tons of items that you can This get? time it's personal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's really... Really I never had no the real one. It's like 3D graphics that yeah, has yeah, all, yeah. This elaborate, all these elaborate items you can pick up, and there are a lot of uh, it's it's weird. It's clunky. 
Wouldn't I played f- Amazon Trail, which is like the magical realism. You're hunting the Incan treasure version mm. of a sequel to Oregon Trail. That game also exists. I want to play that at some point Child too. Child me thought it was cool. Would <laughs> <laughs> be sweet to have like you know a Hello Games or somebody else that you can just like procedurally generate the West, and it really yeah, just yeah. takes you like yeah. years or however long just to journey across this thing. I think it'd be so fun. How long mm-hmm. did it take him to go across the Oregon Trail? Was it years? Must I don't been. know. I would Possibly. imagine it was a long time. At okay. least yeah. a year. Thank you. Thank you, historian. That's what I got. That takes That's what I got. I can't see it taking a year. Well, because if you think about it, so driving across the country would probably take you, if you did it straight, would probably take you like two days. So a fraction of, of that speed, right? Should we do the math on hand, right? Like Let's ask Google hour. how long it how takes many, to walk. How many oh, miles on. per hour does a, does a cattle there, take? We got walk. it right here. It's got to be like a, a Red Dead 2 mod where you just start at the Maybe most. Just like, okay, the I, go- like, I Googled it and... I thought you were going to say a lot that could be a car. So it is four to six months is how long wow. it's been. Yeah, that's, that makes well, sense. They were dying from that? Please. Four to six months. Shut up, Ben, they didn't have they didn't have vaccines or like yeah. hygiene. But like, why were they dying? It's so weird. I don't know. Everybody's weak about vitamin C. <laughs> no. uh, Victor Pham writes in and says, what are some untold stories in gaming that you'd like to see uncovered? For example, will we ever know why Sean Layden left Sony in the manner that he did? Will we ever know what went wrong with Scalebound's development? Keep up the good work. Thank you, Victor. Um, let's, let's give away all our good investigative reporting ideas. Uh, yeah. Let's just give them away. I feel like yeah. Give us your list. We've answered this before. <laughs> like a story. You guys, I want to hear your answer. All I right. I have an answer to this. Please, take it away, man. Which is vague enough that if I ever report it out, it'll hopefully still be interesting and read by some people. Which is to say... That it's become very trendy, especially at big budget studios now, to have a diversity and inclusion program, which is usually part of human resources. And a lot of studios have them now, and they point to those whenever any controversy comes up. But I know plenty of people who work at those studios and are at those programs, and they are of varying quality, I'll put it that way. And it's super interesting to me how some of those studios are doing it right, and some of them aren't. And that's not always apparent to everybody else how that works and which studios are doing evidence-based work on how to not have discrimination problems arise and which ones are just doing lip service. I would love to tell that story someday mm. and maybe I will. That's, That's a good, good one. Yeah. That's a good one. That's uh, a good one. We've talked I, about it before, I think, and it, it's, I think Kyle, your pick was the Kojima story, the Kojima leaving Konami story. That might yeah. be Ooh. that might be near the top want, like, of my Konami list. Konami head and Kojima to just record like an eight-hour podcast where they both are like arguing, <laughs> just like no, 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 this is how it happened. Yeah. No, this is how it happened. <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, obviously, I just know. I, I suspect both sides are like. You know what I mean? Like everyone's kind of like points to Konami, but I bet I bet both sides mm. had some, some stuff. Going of course, Kojima's yeah. a prima donna, you know. But I mean, the whispers <laughs> I hear that like, yeah, it was pretty rough <laughs> in that <laughs> office, you know. So I just want yeah. that big piece, and it's it's shocking that it hasn't come out yet, as far as I. I seen. wonder if there's like one central character to that story of like it's Kojima versus this one guy at Konami, <laughs> who's just a and like he, he's the guy who came up with like change your email every week so no one can actually consistently contact right. you. Mm. Get to yes. your uh, I think and mine is that it's, guy, it's, Solid Snake. <laughs> oh, he works well, there. Or at least that's what he goes by. It's David Hayter. <laughs> he worked at Konami the whole time. I think my story, it's not like a huge like mystery or anything, but I just want to see what the ongoing tale of, um, as like a huge Dota fan, like what it was like for Valve to start working with Ice Frog mm. because he's like yes. a notoriously secretive guy. No one really, oh, no one tried knows. to get that one. Yeah. Before. Yeah. <laughs> there have been like some, sometimes every once in a while on Reddit, you'll see like, I think it's this guy because of these things. And, 
it never really properly materializes. Mm-hmm. But I would like to Nobody see. Nobody knows who he is. Nobody, Nobody knows, knows who he is. is. No one knows. Well, hey, Jason, if you want to find out, like, I would totally <laughs> be down to read that. Jason um, seems yeah. interested. I would just like the scene of like Valve on one side of the negotiating table and Ice Frog on the other, and Ice Frog getting so much. Just, just things like. No, I'll still update the original mod for the uh, for a while, and your game that you're gonna make is bound by my rules and the rules <laughs> of this old mod. Also, no one will. I will never talk publicly. Uh, I, no I will one be will know the, my real name. I will yeah. never actually talk to yeah. you on yeah. the record. I'm the only one who will have like real final say over how this game is balanced it and rules. like whatever <laughs> other. What other stipulations he might have? Like, all, all my, I've, I will make two posts on Twitter, and both of those are translated from my Weibo account from China. So, like, who knows? Like, I would just love to see the, them two hashing it out and Val being like, yeah, I guess well, this will be fine. Val, who's notoriously just does whatever they want to just... It is hard. Yeah, yeah. that's why that story is so hard is because nobody at Valve is going to want to talk to you and neither is Ice Rug. Who's to yeah. say how I know this? <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, I, I like in that, that image of, two, of Valve and Ice Frog on the table, I like to imagine Serial Ice Frog is just like a censored black box. <laughs> <laughs> from Gabe I will balance the original mod still. <laughs> Honestly, if I told you right now on my laptop that you can't see, I have a picture of Ice Frog, and it's like we're talking HD as all share. hell. Screen share. No, hang wow. on, hang <laughs> on. And also the full name of Ice Frog. How much would you pay for me to rotate my laptop right now? <laughs> oh, wow. Okay, I, I would pay good money for that. I mean, over three hundred dollars. Oh, I easily over three hundred dollars. <laughs> would you pay? Yeah, you could put that up for auction, yeah, and a whole exactly. lot of people would pay for that. It's a Patreon tier. Uh, a Patreon goal. Oh, uh, very smart. Yeah. Exactly. Honestly, okay, twenty thousand dollars. We will reveal who I. <laughs> give me the number, Surreal. What's your number? I have done probably like I, maybe a thousand. Depends on like the format. Yeah, what can you personally afford, Surreal? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Is How it a PNG? Is it a account? JPEG? Please reveal it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, you can sell that bed behind you. What else do you got? You got to see this yeah. laptop, man. It's hot. It's amazing. Some mirrors. The mirrors will go for a few hundred. Oh, yeah. It's also, but there's also the chance like that without any identifying information, it's going to be like that scene in that one Justice League cartoon where uh, Lex Luthor embodies the Flash, and he's like, <laughs> yeah, I'm going to take off his mask. I don't know who this is. Yes. <laughs> no, Surreal. So I, I don't want to identify him. I don't want to alarm you, but <laughs> never mind. The computer can't even handle booting up an image. I googled random guy, but all right, never mind. That joke isn't working. Uh, okay, uh, Jason, is there one that's the top of your head for the for the Hail Mary story? Well, I want to hear Kirk's first. Kirk didn't give us one. I guess I was going to say one that would be something that might be yours too, and that's the full story of Final Fantasy Versus Thirteen. Mm. I feel like. A lot of those behind-the-scenes uh, Japanese studio stories just don't get told because of the language barrier. And I would love to know what happened there. Because um, that would be, I'm sure, a fascinating story. For me, my dream one, I just talked about this other day, the other day on Kind of Funny, so sorry if this is a dupe. But one of the dream stories... Reusing content. Had, this is just yeah, weak, right? Jason. We one of the dream stories I've had in my head for a while is I want to know the play-by-play, day-to-day, exactly what happened between the announcement of the Xbox One and the reversal, the DRM reversal that Mm. summer. So Mm. I want to know exactly what it was like in those boardrooms with Phil Harrison and Don Matrick uh, and and Phil Spencer arguing over whether this should go ahead and their Mm -hmm. mixed messaging and 
Just it's great. People will come around. It's going to be fine. Yeah, yeah like Stay how many times did they say watch that before they realized it wasn't working? That needs to be like an HBO, like Macmillan style documentary, <laughs> not like not just an investigative story. That needs to be like a full on give it the works. There aren't enough documentaries about, about video games. Yeah, I agree. Uh, X Downpour has a very simple question. Since I'm still in my Final Fantasy addiction mode right now, who has the better theme song? Is it Terra from six or Aerith from seven? How do you compare those two? They're, they're mm. trying to do such different things. Well, Kirk, incredible. Kirk is the music expert here. <laughs> Kirk, uh, do you remember Terra's theme? I do remember. Theme. No, I played six, though. I know Terra's theme. I don't have the same emotional attachment, so it doesn't quite work, only because I love Aerith's theme. And I love the music of Final Fantasy VII. I just played. Nope, sorry, not going to say Please anything about the Final you. Fantasy VII remake. You didn't just play it at all. Right now. <laughs> just nothing that I just played. That music is really good. So I would say I guess I prefer that, but it's impossible to say whether one is better I, than the other. They're played, both okay, fantastic. You played, you played part of Six, but you didn't get far enough to be able to like associate that music with like right. Like I don't have the emotional connection. And I like Aerith's theme. I mean, come on. Like the things that that music accompanies in that game, like it's it incredible. becomes seared into your emotional memory. I'm most interested if anybody Same in the community has the. Theme, What's that? Okay. But I'm yeah, interested if anybody in the community has no like. No spoilers. No spoilers. Yes, please. <laughs> has the opinion of like they like one game more, but they appreciate the other song more. Because I feel like everybody who likes Six mm. more will say that Terra's theme is better. But I mean, hmm. come on. If you are, I don't remember- know if that's true because I'm not really a Final Fantasy VII person, but I love the soundtrack a okay. lot. I think it's great. I just mm-hmm. think it's objectively great, and I listened to it a ton before I ever got around to playing the game, just because I thought it was so great, and I like Nobuo Metsu's work so much. So yeah, I think there also are maybe more full orchestral and like fully realized versions of the Final Fantasy VII score than the Final yeah, Fantasy VI score. So beloved. it also gives it a bit of an unfair advantage that we know true. Cloud's theme because we've heard like full a billion OC remixes right. of it. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Do you think it's uh, we were talking about this in the deepest dive or Final Fantasy VII game club discussion, but I mean, at this point, uh, Seven's remake has the best Final Fantasy soundtrack of all time, right? Is there any argument left? Mm-hmm. I always, it's really I, was, good. I was an eight man that's, myself that's up quite until a this. Declaration. Yeah, don't, honestly, yeah. don't do this. <laughs> honestly, I think it's, well, it's tough that we prepare this. <laughs> I have a sort of a take. I think that that's a tough thing to say, only because Seven has an unfair advantage in that they're doing so much clever stuff with that soundtrack because they're taking an existing soundtrack and they're not just doing it up with like you know full real instruments and stuff they're also reimagining it and doing musical like musically doing the same thing that they're doing with the game yeah and that's just operating on a different level than every other final fantasy soundtrack so it's almost a totally it's not totally but it is a different thing in a kind of significant way so it's sort of hard to compare them because of that yeah also seven soundtrack would not exist with the out the previous game soundtracks like for example right. Aerith's theme, the well, one you guys all love and well, obsess over, okay. is, a, is a variation. Okay, but like, so it's the very first guitar song ever played is always going to be the greatest <laughs> no, guitar. No, no, no. no, but they're very close. <laughs> I mean, yeah. The other ones wouldn't exist without this. No, it's Who invented guitars? You know what I mean? <laughs> Jason, this is what our podcast I know what you're saying, Jason. I'm just giving you <laughs> Same point. We just have to get from Final Fantasy VI. Literally the same progressions mm-hmm. as Aerith's theme. Aerith's theme is just a, a build on that. It's like I don't know what the musical terminology would be, but it's like a variation on the opera theme for Final Fantasy VI. So uh, I don't know if you can really compare compare any of them uh, in in a one to one way. Yeah, I hope that's a satisfying answer for you, X Downpour. <laughs> the answer is our theme, <laughs> I think. Um, okay, ZZ Beefcake ZZ. I'm very sorry. Um, 
wants us to play a game about, it's like free association, but it's food association. So below I've listed video game characters. All characters have to eat something. Please say the first food that comes to your mind. For example, Son question. Sonic the Hedgehog, chili dogs. Okay. Uh, curly fries. Okay, great. But hang on. That was just the example. We got a lot of... <laughs> no, I, I thought you were supposed to go. Sonic the Restaurant. I'm sorry. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that must be it. <laughs> Sonic the All right. So I guess everybody just shout out something if it comes into your mind. Um, okay. Crash Bandicoot. Wampa Fruit. There we go. <laughs> Kyle, uh, correct. Yes, you won. Uh, you won yeah. Beefcake's love. Uh, okay, Spyro the Dragon. Oh, I have to mac and cheese. <laughs> <laughs> when Spyro choking on a hot dog. Yeah, man. He'd like because he'd like cook the hot dog on a little. Oh, oh I yeah. I kind of that works. Yeah, yeah. Same, same idea. Kyle it's so stupid, time. but I can only think of gems of him like trying to eat one of those gems in the world. <laughs> yeah, uh, Naked Snake. Snake. Uh, uh, snake. <laughs> Cigarettes. <laughs> Cigarettes. He just eats them. He's eating them? Yeah, I was going to say, like, cooked snake or something, like a literal mm -hmm. snake that he right, like, right. basically. Well, some days you feed on a tree frog. Free frog. Blah, tree frog. <laughs> <laughs> all over the place. Free frog. <laughs> the old free trog. Um, Lara Croft. Guy. Yeah. Lara Croft. <laughs> Uh, this is tough because we see her eat a lot in those games. She's eating a lot of, of beef jerky and stuff. That's true. That's true. Ooh. So we kind of know food. the answer. Yeah, yeah, like venison, like cooked okay. venison. Yeah, yeah. Well, like my, my mind went to like the butler, and then like mm. tea, oh, what is she like eating at home? Woman. Yeah. Oh, Have like a, like tea cakes. Yeah. 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 Okay. She just drinks tea and drinks from her swimming pool. <laughs> yeah, that's her mm -hmm. life. <laughs> I think there's like like does gymnastics around her house. Oh yeah. Kirby. Everything. 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 The world. Yeah. The world. Uh, yeah. Human beings so you can transform into them. Yes. Yeah, oh, it's, a, it's a Pinocchio story. They're just taking a long yeah. time to get up to that moment when he finally becomes the uh, Axel from Twisted Metal. Uh, nuts and bolts. <laughs> but he's like imprisoned by the giant wheels for arms. So I think the last thing he would want to do is eat more. So the car is a straw. You can eat it hands free. Basically. Ooh, smart. I love it. Um, okay. Okay. Oh boy. Uh, Glover. Pies. <laughs> pies. Love it. Uh, Travis. Hamburger Helper says Jeff. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> Brilliant, Jeff. Uh, Travis Touchdown. A pizza. Pizza. Mm -hmm. pizza. pizza. That's his thing? All right. Perfect. Uh, thank you. Nothing cereal? Yeah, I was, I was agreeing with pizza. All okay, right. Okay. It's the correct choice. Uh, thank you, Beefcake, for your submission. Uh, Crater says, the save icon in almost every computer program out there is the image of a three and a half inch floppy disk, uh, which has been obsolete for decades, yet the image persists. This isn't true in video games since the save slash saving icons vary with every game. Are there any universal, quote, this means the same thing symbol in games you can think of? Oh, yes. Oh, man, I, I totally thought about this. When yeah, we what do you got? In. I have a million thoughts on this. Wait, so, okay, here's a funny one. Yeah. I'm going to say a funny one. So I think that, like, the health symbol is, like, a very universal one. Yeah. And you know how you have health, health and grenades? And I think the grenades are also pretty universal because like a lot of games have grenades. But I'll always think about, and this is based on a blog post about the UI in the first Mass Effect. And how, do you remember in the first Mass Effect what the symbol for a grenade was? No. There was like the health kit symbol and it was the cross. So you knew that mm -hmm. was health. Then the grenade, it looked like a hockey puck. Because in Mass Effect, that's what the grenades looked like. If you oh. remember this, you would like... Because it was made wing. in Canada. 
It was, I guess that's, that's why, right? It was some Canadian pride. So it was this really weird logo of Lucky Puck with wind coming out of it, kind of, if I'm remembering it correctly. Weird. And I've always thought about how that, how they should have just made it look like a grenade, like with mm-hmm. a like an old like you know pineapple grenade. Even though yep. that's not what it looked like, they chose to make it look like the in-game grenade, and it's the most confusing I kind of ever seen. <laughs> yeah. And that just made me think of it. Or Kirk, as someone who played Half-Life Alex, as Serial can also attest to, they can start making it just uh, a, a measuring tape dispenser, and we'll all know right. that that's yeah. grenades. <laughs> right, right. Oh my god, I love the grenades in that game. Um, just the, ugh, they're so good. Uh, Kirk, do you think that's going to be your game of the year? Oh my god, who can say? Well, I think that everyone has to choose from just the games of the last like, couple <laughs> months. Yeah. So yeah, maybe. Yeah. It was one of the I coolest think, games I've I played in a long time. I think we're going to get to December and everybody's going to be like, oh my god, our game of the year is just like old Jackbox games. because that's, all- <laughs> <laughs> that's all we played all year. <laughs> Finally justice in the world, I say, yeah. yeah. Uh, I think like, I mean, the exclamation point for a quest, that's nearly universal, mm-hmm. right? That's what I thought mm-hmm. of first. And arrows. Mm-hmm. The yeah, mm-hmm. the arrow. Yeah, the yeah. map. I think map is kind of hard because, like, now it's kind of a waypoint. Like, phones have universalized a lot of this stuff. Like, you'll see a kind of a Google Maps waypoint, but sometimes it's like a clot, like a map that's folded up, or it's right. like a radar. There's a lot of inconsistency with the map icon. Yeah, uh, Scott Castro says hello, uh, Ben and the CLCs, and Maddie Kirk and Jason. Uh, if you could snap oh. your fingers and be the best in the world at any one thing, what would that one thing be? I have an answer. Finance. Finance? Finance? <laughs> That's so lame. You can just like look That's at a it. number and you'll be on top oil baron. <laughs> <laughs> well, oil is not a good thing to be a baron of right yeah. now. But I'll be the best in the world. That's true. <laughs> I'll find money if you I'm the best now. oilist. If you, own, if you own oil right now, they have to give you money. Like, that's yeah. how it works, right? right? I think so. So true. And it's definitely not a it's resource that's going to run out and stop being a good one to invest in. That's not it. Okay. So I have one of these. I stole one from uh, my partner, Emily, because I asked her this question because I was like the best guitar player. Like I was just trying to think of stupid things. And she yeah. was like, yeah. I would want to be the best at the world, the best in the world at convincing people that they want to do something. Ooh. And I think that is a really that would be an amazing skill to be the best. In the world. Oh, my yeah, God. but then you become Kilgrave, and that's maybe your girlfriend. Or you become a little, uh... you become Livgrave. <laughs> you become the best version. Yeah, what is Emily trying to convince you of, Kirk? <laughs> she convinces me that I want to do things all the time. I, I don't even know that I want you to say this. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. that's true. Yeah, wow, that's true. you should use this answer. <laughs> I like I like counting money. You know, it's a good answer on the along the lines of what Kirk said. The, be the best in the world at getting people's attention. I think that could serve mm. you serve you well in a lot mm. of ways. What do you think that mm-hmm. says about you deep down, Jason? It says a lot of screwed up things. I think mine would be the best in the world at teaching someone something or teaching anyone something. That's, That's the selfless good. Maddie answer. It's such a Maddie answer. That's a good Real answer. Though. That is a good one. How are you all making money off this, though? I don't get it. <laughs> uh, let's Teachers see. make a lot of money. That's right? true. I yeah. think so. That's what I've always heard. That famously well-paid profession. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, mm. Kyle, what's it like being a teacher for your daughter these last couple months? What time well, is it? It's, it's good in this modern age because you just hand them their iPad and say, I'll check back <laughs> with you in 20 minutes. Have fun learning. Uh, no, it, it's been it's been hard. It's been weird. It, hard's not the right word. It's just about like staying focused and like getting things done because it's so easy to be like, you know, we could just play Animal Crossing for like mm-hmm. four hours and do your homework later. It'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> have you learned anything that you're teaching her? Do you have like I, a moment of, I've oh, learned, wow. They teach math differently now. 
Um, oh, like Incredibles that's 2 talked about. true somehow. Yeah. Every few years they change I've it up. That. Yeah. But it's like... It, it, Has it, math it, changed since we learned it? Well, hell yeah. yeah. I look at it, it's all different now. I look at it and it's, com- it's confusing yeah, to it's me initially. Sad, sad map. <laughs> I was just going to say, it's, it's confusing me initially, but like to, to sort of take it from a, a, a positive angle, like it, the way they teach it now, like kids have a better understanding of how it works. Like it's less about just like memorizing the steps and more like... Right. It, like visualizing the numbers and what they mean and how they connect and stuff like that. Like my wife, who is, uh, she has a master's degree in math and comp- taught math for many years. I thought she would be kind of like, like frustrated by it or be like, oh, they changed math. But she looks at it and she's like, no, this is great. I'm so glad really? it this way. This is so nice. Much. That makes sense. Yeah. I could yeah. see the, the beginning maths having like an improved process for onboarding yeah, yeah. people to those concepts uh, instead of just being like, here, memorize a bunch of rules. You'll get it. Yeah. Yeah. Jason, our kids are going to yeah. be way smarter than us. It's going to be great. I can't wait. <laughs> My kid's already way smarter than me. <laughs> <laughs> she can roll over from her from her front to her back and vice versa. I can't do that. Nice. Stick an iPad under her. She'll start learning. That's oh, all good. <laughs> uh, Jordan Schaefer wrote and he says, what I wanted to ask is everybody's thoughts on the games already out and those currently set to be published by Xbox Game Studios this year. For context, the confirmed list so far is as follows. Ori and the Will of the Wisps, Bleeding Edge, Gears Tactics, Minecraft Dungeons, Microsoft Flight Simulator, Tell Me Why, which is the Don't Nod game, Wasteland Remastered, Psychonauts 2, Halo Infinite, and probably Forza Motorsport 8. Uh, this has to be the most bizarre and diverse lineups ever from a publisher, right? I don't know how many of these games will be good or come out, but do you think that Xbox deserves more credit just for the wild collection of games they're putting out this year? Interesting. It's well, a good so point. Some of those are, are uh, acquisitions that aren't actually being published by Microsoft, right? Like, I, is Psychonauts 2 published by Microsoft? I thought they had I think it will be now because like, it was Starbreeze, but I can't imagine that's oh, holding true was, at this point. Yeah, yeah, I'm not sure. And Wasteland 3, I know, is a different publisher. So, like, a few of those are just, well, I think, so uh, let me answer that by making a prediction. And I say this with the caveat that I actually am excited for some of these games. I can't wait to play Ori. Um, one day. Oh, Ori's out. That's really good. Looks cool. Yeah, I'm excited to play. I'm waiting for Ori to come to Switch, just like the first time. But um, here's a prediction. I think that uh, in a couple of weeks, we'll see a big Xbox event or a couple of big Xbox events for their new next-gen plan or whatever. And I think that is going to have some impressive stuff because I feel like they have a couple of years now of uh, acquisitions and project green lights and things to show off. And I think this is a good opportunity for them to be like, all right, here you go, Sony, eat this. Like, we're going to show you every single thing we're doing in the next couple of years. And I think that is going to be impressive. Well, um, that's interesting. This year, yeah, I, this I, year I haven't seen anything that is, like, getting me super excited. But I'm also not a Halo guy and not a huge Gears guy. So maybe that stuff isn't for me. But I am excited. Psychonauts for, too, like, though. But no, Psychonauts too. I'm excited for. I just didn't associate that with Microsoft. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but I'm excited for, like, also, Psychonauts 2 won't just be on like Microsoft platforms. It'll be on everything. I think like it'll definitely be on PlayStation because that's it was announced before the Microsoft bought Double Fine. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but I'm really excited for like what they're showing because I want to play a new Fable. I'm excited for that. I'm excited for like some other stuff that they have uh, in in the cards for down the road. Well, yeah, I mean the variety. I think is Jordan's point. I think that's absolutely true. I mean, just throwing Microsoft Flight Simulator in there, it's like, oh yeah, that's right. Just the range on this is wild. But so <laughs> yeah, that's true, especially compared to Sony, which is like we're gonna make these game of the year quality beautiful games but they're also all going to be third person sad action adventures <laughs> <laughs> what's wrong with that yeah you like- no they're great no those are some of the best games of the year like horizon god of war like some of my favorite games can't wait for last of us too but 
definitely a variety problem, that is for sure. Yeah, well, thinking about like Microsoft's future too, you talk about how, oh, they've made these acquisitions, but like who would be ready to go? I think the closest would be probably Playground with Fable, but I mean, with the initiative, they're probably so far away from even having a piece of concept art for revealing what they're working on, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'm I'm thinking that like my, uh, that Microsoft, uh, when they do their proper reveal event or events, I think they're going to be showing like here's what's coming in the next couple of years, not just like here's what's coming this fall and like early yeah. next year. I think we're going to see the roadmap for the next couple of years. Yeah, uh, Jason, here's an impossible question for you, but the, I can feel <laughs> the wait. community wanting to ask you: um, How many unannounced games do you know about right now? Uh, i mean not not that many like i I don't i don't really like to find they've all been delayed (laughs) i don't really like to find things out and then uh sit on them like i don't really like keeping secrets so i don't i purposely tell people sometimes like don't tell me this thing like i don't really want to know this thing um also, there isn't like there isn't some treasure trove of like seek top secret games that are like you, you oftentimes you see these rumors on Reddit that are like, here's all these things that are coming and they're never actually true. Like a lot of these companies, if you think it through, like you have a good idea of what they're doing. And a lot of what you don't know is just stuff that's in pre-production prototyping phases and might not actually ever happen. Like at any given company, um, like Ubisoft, for example, right? Like you have a pretty good idea of what they've got for the next couple of years. Like it's not announced yet, but we know there's a new Assassin's Creed Vikings game coming this fall. We know there's a new Far Cry coming, like, next whatever. We know Watch Dogs Legion, they've announced. We know we have a good idea of what they have. And then anything beyond that um, is uh, mostly stuff that is, like, still going through these various phases of green lighting. So it might never happen. Like, they've taken all these different projects and put them together and taken all sorts of, like, Far Cry this and, and spin off of this. And a lot of these things just never actually happen. So... When it comes to like knowledge of like, oh, I know what's coming in like 2022 or 2023, so often that just never actually comes to fruition. So I would actually sound like a moron if it was like, oh, I heard about this this thing that just got top secretly, like like a handful of people are working on it at such company because chances are it's not going to happen. So many of these things just get um, get killed or transform in some way or another. Yeah. Uh, Phil S says, hello, everybody. Uh, and triple click, uh, in your opinions, what has been the absolute highlight of the music rhythm game genre? For me, it's hard to beat Amplitude on PS2. That's true, Amplitude Phil, but it turns cool. out Frequency, I think, is a better game, but that's just my opinion. Also cool. Uh, oh, but man. What do you think is the top of that pile? What about Dance Dance Revolution, though? I mean, just kidding. Yeah. I, I mostly just hey. remember that one year when everybody I knew had a copy of Rock Band <laughs> and just every party was a rock band party. And that mm-hmm. was a really fun summer of my life that will never be recaptured again. Yeah, but it's too bad. It I miss the plastic great. instruments. Yeah. I would say Rock Band 2 was the peak for me because, well, I learned actual drums partly because of Rock Band. Like, I, I mean, I like knew how drums worked and stuff, but I had never really practiced them. And then I loved playing drums in rock band. And since it's so close to the actual instrument, I like started practicing actual drums. So I'll always love that game. And I feel like rock band three game, like actually teaches you real world skills. Yeah. Well, guitar Smith teaches guitar too. They have, that game has come a long way since it first came out. But, um, so I liked rock band too, cause rock band three was where they went totally nuts. Like that was with like yeah. the, guitar controller with that like jaguar controller with buttons for every single string on every fret that you could yeah. really learn guitar and then you could plug they had like a special squire that you could like actually play guitar parts and there's a piano and it was amazing but like it was almost like they jumped the shark rock mm-hmm. band 2 is kind of the peak 
And then I would say that Beat Saber doesn't, or people talk about Beat Saber, but Beat Saber is awesome. Like that's the VR um, mm-hmm. rhythm game yeah. that is extremely good. And it's, you know, I don't know if it's the best or anything, but I, I do really like playing it. Yeah. I mean, Hanson, you're, we're probably maybe on the same page, but in terms of like focusing fully on the music and really dialing into what you need to do to interact with the music. Yeah. Rhythm Heaven still does it for me, man. Just because it's so, it's, <laughs> it's less so about simple. It's still about like it's not about like hitting a million buttons at different times. Mm-hmm. It's just focusing purely on the beat, and so like it lets me absorb the music so much more that like Rhythm Heaven is still like maybe my favorite like I mean, rhythm game. I love Rhythm Heaven, but at the same time, I'm not interacting with the music in a really fun way. I feel like it's I feel like a robot at times playing Rhythm Heaven. Like the art really brings just a whole flavor of humanity, but you're actually thinking about what you're doing. It's just like, okay, dun, 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 dun. See, I love that simplicity, though, because it's like I focus so much on the beat in that way, where if, like, if I'm playing Guitar Hero, which I, I do love as well, half of that is focused on making sure I hit the right color button along with the music. But Rhythm Heaven is just purely focused on the beat, which is why. I, I got to shout out Thumper. I realized that I forgot to Ooh, say Thumper. Okay. Yeah, Thumper is one of the best music too. games I've ever played. That game, is, yeah. that game rips. And like, yeah, what I, about Elite Beat Agents? Yeah, it's great. Not my favorite. It's good. No. It's good. But, That's one where yeah, I like the presentation more than the gameplay yeah. a lot more too. Like when I think like about a Beat it. Sneak Bandit was kind of that way. Like it was a lot yeah. of fun. But still, like, f- this is a really personal answer, but I think my favorite moment in a rhythm game ever discovered the the um there was the the mobile rhythm game from Taito, uh, Groove Coaster. Oh yeah. Uh, where one of the things was that there are hidden notes. And you only can discover the hidden notes if you're on the if you know what the beat is. So it's like, oh, if there's a if there's a like a a symbol every other note, mm. and you press it outside of the uh, outside of what the notes are showing you, and you get like a bonus for it. It's like really cool discovering like, oh, if I actually like I actually know what the rhythm of this so well that I don't even That's need cool. the notes to be on the screen to, yeah. to be able to like you know tap along to it. Yeah. Nice. Uh, the soundtrack I know isn't that great, but I, I talk about it. I feel like on every episode of the Min Max Show. But Amplitude on PS4, I think, is the one of the most uh, underappreciated games of the generation. I love that game. I think it took That's fun. the formula from the original days, you know, frequency and uh, and amplitude, and improved upon every aspect of the gameplay. Soundtrack not quite as strong as like a frequency or even maybe an amplitude back in the day. Um, but I still think that game deserves a lot more love because. Also, we should just appreciate harmonics more. The fact that they're still around, going strong, <laughs> yeah, like it is absolutely. mind-boggling. Um, okay. Oh, Phil S. also uh, says that he's the reigning champion in photo mode snap for Hellblade, uh, if you remember his submission, Kyle. Yeah, yeah, he's yeah. very good. He's, he deserves it. Yeah, good job, Phil. Um, okay, Stud Muffin wrote in for the perfect game to play this week, and he didn't even know this was happening, but Stud Muffin wrote in and said, it's time to play MinMax Family Feud. We have 10 gaming questions for you, and the survey answers are compiled by over 30 members of the MinMax community on Discord. So this works out beautifully, because we can make Amazing. it three on three. Uh, okay. okay. All right, but how great. will we decide the teams? <laughs> <laughs> guys versus girls? I don't know. <laughs> uh, let's see. That seems fair to you guys. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess it has to be like Family Feud, right? Where everybody just imagine that you're walking up to the little podium. So it has right. to be like a 1v1, and then you buzz in by saying your name, just to make okay. it nice and clean. 
uh, and then you get to answer and play or pass whatever you want to do. So um, let's see. And you'll make faces when we make sexual innuendos and stuff. Oh, you got I cannot wait to make those sexual innuendo faces. You got to do little dances and reaction to our answers. Absolutely. Too. You got to look at the at the camera every once in a while. Like I can't believe the ridiculous thing this person just said. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, so who wants first up? Oh man, I'll go. Uh, sure, I'll go. I'll go first. All right, Kyle versus Kirk. It's time to play Family Feud! <laughs> okay, here we go. Buzzing with your name. Okay. What is one? We polled 30 MinMax community members. Top bunch of answers around the board. What's one video game character you wouldn't want to share a bunk bed with? Kirk. <laughs> Kirk. Uh, ba- Bowser. Bowser's the top answer! Way to go! Amazing! Player pass. He's huge. He would totally fall on you. And he has spikes on his shells, and they would impale you. It would be horrible. Yeah, that's tough. All right, Kyle, sorry. I guess we won't do the whole thing, but uh, let's see. Runners-up are... Does anybody want to guess any runners-up here? One of the Colossi. Um, One of the Colossi. (laughs) There are no Colossi in here. Oh, okay. Donkey Kong. Donkey Kong uh, is in the runner-up category. Wario. Wario's Ganondorf? also in there. Let's just Wario say would be villains. farting all night. It yeah. would be pain. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Bowser, I don't think, has ever farted. I don't think that's ever happened. No, he holds it in. Yeah, it's classy dude. It comes from. <laughs> I play so mad all the time. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> let's see. Uh, all right, next people to come up. Who wants in? I'll go. Sure. Okay, great. Let's go. Jeffum versus Maddie. Okay. What is the most satisfying button in video game controller history x hang on i'm sorry sorry. Uh, lady x uh, do you have a guess maddie did you get to go or i thought i mean i think you said x before he said his name i know i'm sorry what is your guess x just generic x it is I mean, not- I don't know. How else would one select a button? I mean, can, I'm sorry. Button? X it's not is on not the list? on the board. Uh, Jeffum, can you guess one that is on the board? Uh, trigger. Trigger. We <laughs> need. You gotta name a trigger. I know These what are the answer is trigger. <laughs> okay, everybody else, let's try and be specific. Uh, does anybody have the a GameCube A button? Come on. <laughs> GameCube A button. Uh, it got one point. It's in the third tier, oh, so not as popular. What is this? Huh. That's the most satisfying button of all. What about the under yeah, button? Good. The under no, button. Like okay. What about the well, button? Well, that's the one everybody uh, voted uh, for. Is it uh, my turn again? How does this work? You know, now it's just a free for all. Um, uh, left click. So, like the mouse <laughs> button? Click. Like clicking a mouse? Yeah. yeah. I'm sorry, button. left click is not on the board. Um, what about the map button, button on the PlayStation 4 controller? Oh. Super Nintendo Y. Uh, Kyle, PlayStation Touchpad is in the third tier what? category. For It's worth okay. one point. But we're still okay. not getting the top not two. Not getting the top. No. There's one top answer here. The A button? Is it like a, a rock band instrument? Like the drums? No. Nope. It's a very specific controller that's has a very funky version of this type of button. Like the Dreamcast start button or something? Ooh, interesting. <laughs> <laughs> they uh, love the little triangle. The no. circle pad. Yeah, the little the triangle. N64 trigger. N64 trigger. N64 trigger. That is in the runner-up category. That's worth two points, but that's not the top answer. Okay, good answer though. Yeah, good answer. Yeah. Good answer. 
uh, the Wii Mote uh, <laughs> Waggle. Waggle? We- yeah. <laughs> oh, weird. Wii Remote A is in the third tier. Okay, so uh, somebody or GameCube was, like the Switch screen cap button. I feel like that's a pretty ooh, ooh the sound is perfect. Nice click sound. Yeah. 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 No, the top Wait, answer. Does it count the Switch like inserting. Yeah, we get it. Oh, that's awesome. They've implemented that as gameplay yet, have they? They, <laughs> they haven't made the WarioWare for Switch yet. Requirements. It's gonna happen. But the number one answer. The GameCube R and L. Oh, so that would have okay. The deep throw <laughs> trigger it had to be GameCube. Thing. It had to be GameCube. Those, con- so those are weird. <laughs> I hear that that's the button that's hardest to press for Smash players. Like it becomes, it tires you out the most over time. Yeah, I remember even playing like hurt. Metroid Prime back in the day, and my fingers getting sore and stuff. But okay, let's yeah. see. This is a Serial versus Jason. What is a game that is best in? Short bursts. Jason. Jason. Uh, <laughs> I was going to say threes, but that's just me. That's just a me personal thing. So that's not actually my answer. My answer is um, Tetris. Uh, Tetris is on the board, but it's not the number one answer. Can you top it, Serial? Uh, hmm. Short bursts. Uh, I'm just going to... Go Candy Crush. Sorry. Does anybody else have a guess for the number one answer? I mean, I was thinking Bejeweled with the Candy Crush angle. Okay. But that's kind of the same. Street right? Fighter. Mm-hmm. Think about no. the year 2020. Animal Crossing. Animal Crossing. There we go. Oh. 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 Well, sure. Yeah, sure. That is true. That is true. That's not beating Tetris. Mm-hmm. Well, hey, got to try it, Jeff. I'm got to try it. Yeah. Um, ooh. No. That's just the first thing was mine. <laughs> okay. I thought Tetris too, yeah. All right, uh, the K's are out again. Specifically with the bomb. Yes, yeah. <laughs> Hattress. All right, Kirk and Kyle, who right. would be the most interesting developer to grab a drink with? Kirk. Kirk. Uh, Hideo Kojima. That is in the silver category. There is okay. the number that one answer. That was my answer, answer too, by the way. Oh, interesting. Uh, well, now you should probably yeah. guess That's a different an easy one. one. Yeah. Can you top it, I get, Oh, do I get, to, I get to guess again, right? You get to top. Yeah. Uh, Miyamoto? Uh, Miyamoto's mm. also in the silver category. Okay. Does anybody have a guess for the number one answer? It's the correct answer. <laughs> Schaefer? Yes, it uh, is Tim Pseudo Schaefer. Oh, Tim. Uh, yeah. <laughs> we're all like, yeah, he's hilarious. Yeah. I guess he's going to be a lot of fun to hang out with. We, we've had him on our podcast like four times. Yes. So we're used to it. <laughs> <laughs> but were you drinking in any of them? Uh, Who's to say? No. <laughs> <laughs> okay, here we go. Sadly, no. Last one, uh, Maddie and Jeff. Uh, which company typically puts on the best E3 press conference. Jeff. Jeff. Nintendo? Uh, put on? Mm. Really? Okay. It, it just Maddie. means in general, right? Yeah. Like across the board. Across the board. I guess so. I was going to say Nintendo. Uh, oh, but they're all so awkward. There's so many blazers. <laughs> There's no good answer. I guess I'll just say Xbox. I truly don't know. It was Sony was the number one answer from oh, our community. Sony. There we go. But Ubisoft has I the same. Biffed it. <laughs> no. Konami is obviously the answer. Unless you know <laughs> sure, sure. That is I true. Mean, Sony did have that. I think it all the, here, you know, so. Yeah. It depends on how you oh, yeah, see yeah, a good... Yeah, like, what is good about a press conference? (laughs) Like, do you want a giant stuffed bear leading a marching band? In that case, Ubisoft. I was just thinking about that. I was playing a lot. 
I was playing a lot of Just Dance 2014 this week because uh, the quarantine's uh-huh. weird. And I was really thinking about like, man, remember people would complain about like the dance sequences during the press conferences? Like that was so uh, much fun. It was such like a breath of fresh air every year. It was just wonderful. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. So every week uh, we pick our favorite question and then I'm 8-Bit ships out something very nice. Uh, this week it is, hang on. Hey, hold on. I'm gonna I'm gonna hold this picture up to the to the camera here. Yeah. Based on what you were just talking about, this is a picture that I took at Target like two weeks ago. Just, just Dance 2020 for the Nintendo Wii. Isn't that wild? <laughs> wow. For the <laughs> Wii, you I say. Love that. That's Just Dance for you. And it's uh, that's, that's thirty nine ninety nine. That's one of those releases where you're just relying on a lot of confused parents. Yep, exactly. <laughs> uh, anyway, so but we choose our absolute favorite question, and then I made bit will ship out uh, this week. It is the soundtrack to Doki Doki Literature Club. And oh, the presentation nice. really looks fantastic. Yeah. Um, does that soundtrack have like creepy things on the B side or something? If you play it back, I hope it, it does. To. You're listening. Yeah. To stops in the middle and like that would be amazing (laughs) it turns out it's not a soundtrack at all but the question is what is the best email of the week or the best question of the week hmm I like the food question though do I get a vote in this yeah absolutely All right. I mean that was was good stud muffin with a family feud there's a lot of calories burned there it's good but I think the food one might have been more fun it was a pretty fun question are we going food food it up All right, there it is Congratulations, Beefcake. Uh, I am 8-Bit. We'll ship you out the Doki Doki Literature Club. And even if you don't have a record player, it, uh, it's going to look sweet on a shelf. So thank you so much. I am 8-Bit. And thank you, Beefcake, and everybody else that submitted a wonderful question. Um, and now it's time for something we call Get a Load of This. All right. Are you guys decently prepared for Get a Load of This? Do you know how this works? No. 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 Kirk, did you tell them? <laughs> I'm prepared to get a load of it. and then. You know. <laughs> All right. Perfect. Uh, Jeff, do you want to kick it off? Yeah, sure. Hey, get a load of this, which, by the way, guys, you have to say at the beginning of your thing, otherwise it doesn't count. That's right. Uh Uh, But everyone's working from home nowadays, and it turns out that it also includes NASA. And uh, there was an article on Business Insider about how NASA scientists are now, they sent everyone home, but they're still actually controlling the rover on Mars. What from their from their home computers? <laughs> except they don't. They didn't have. I mean, obviously NASA has much better computers than everyone, but they also have like very fancy VR goggles that they that they need in order to you know make fine movements on Mars with the rover. Uh, but they turned out. It turns out their their workaround solution for it is they're they're using the old school like movie blue and blue and red 3d glasses and they they jerry-rigged it they said it's very much the nasa approach to jerry-rigging a solution out of whatever people had at home and they managed to figure out a way to filter it and so now they are controlling the rover on mars with old style 3d glasses that is absurd amazing wow good one that's pretty cool that's really cool kyle you want to go next yeah. Uh, hey, get a load of this, you guys. Um, we'll see how this works. It's, it's like an audio thing on my phone. So okay. hopefully hopefully, I'm not giving you work to edit later, Anson. But this is from a Twitter account, at Funk Butcher. I'm not familiar with him, but he, uh, he in some music program, I'm not familiar with what it is, he, he, he put this together. Let's see if this plays well. Okay. okay so you guys are able to hear that okay? Uh, yeah. Sure. Yeah. 
good enough. And then he, so what he does is he's, it's at like a speed of like 60 and then he like puts it way up to like in the 400s. So he speeds that sound clip up to like the 400 rate. And then this is what it sounds like. Is there audio coming out of your phone? Sounds like silence. Oh, oh it was very, it? very fast. Oh, so it's the power up sound? Yeah. yeah so here, I'll, I'll play it one more time. So this <laughs> is, this is it super it sped up. Extremely like, fast. So that's like nice. basically like the Mario theme sped up an incredible amount is like a right. power yeah. up. Sound. Yeah, Koji oh. Kondo does a lot of those things where it's yeah. just like one thing is like something else backwards or like an Easter egg to something mm-hmm. else. Yeah. It's oh, like that's the opposite awesome. of yeah. the Hans Zimmer thing or take a track and slowing it down so much that it just becomes uh, weird ambient sounds. Yeah. Like up. Of how the bushes are also the clouds in Super Mario. Well, right. that's what I was yeah. It could have been I mean, a technical limitation that is now yeah. like these two iconic noises that I'm learning now are over the same all along. I love it. I love wild. it. Uh, Maddie, do you want to go next? I don't have a prepared uh, get a load of this, though. <laughs> that's fine. That's fine then. Uh, Jeff, I'm Jeff sorry, Surreal? <laughs> uh, so my, mine is more of a, a, a PSA than like a, a cool tidbit. Uh, so if you're listening to this podcast, you probably have a switch, in which case you want to get two-factor authentication on that thing, on that account, uh, since there's currently a round of switch hacks going around that can easily break into your account if you just have it password protected. So if you're reading this, I would, as soon as you can, find a computer and get two-factor authentication so your account doesn't get hacked. All right, we'll get a load of that. Good PSA. PSA. Yeah, yeah. Uh, unfortunately, you didn't say get a load of this at the start, sir. Yeah, so I, I, I said okay. And everyone's accounts are hacked now. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Sorry, everybody. Yeah, that Kirk? really backfired on me. Kirk, did you got one? <laughs> uh, yeah, I have one. Okay, so this is someone I found on Twitter who's been doing this for a while. Her name is Mary. Ne- she's an actor, and she's trapped in quarantine and has been performing scenes from her favorite musicals in this Twitter thread that I'm going to I'm going to try this. All right, I'm going to try and play it for you guys. This is her and she performs both parts and edits. She does the whole thing herself and it's genius. Um okay, so I'm going to hold this up. So you can kind of see. So if you can see this. <laughs> it's it's from uh-huh. Hamilton, right? She this is Lemez. Oh, that's oh. Lemez. Okay. Oh, we can't hear it. Yeah, right. So it, I have to hold it to the mic you. so you can see it. <laughs> <laughs> so basically <laughs> I could never do it you, it would not do it justice to watch this over a stream on someone's phone but her name is Mary Neely and each one of these videos is a very short excerpt and each one is a brilliant work of art there is one from Hamilton she yeah. does um, Eliza's song it it's super good some good yeah, she, and well Miranda makeup I've seen it it's, oh, very it's good. really funny because it's basically it's played straight and then she comes in as Lin-Manuel Miranda and it's like becomes hilarious just because there's this like doofy looking Hamilton there reaction <laughs> <laughs> they're awesome. all incredible though if you like musical theater even if you don't I recommend them and again her name is Mary Neely nice. and she's very easy and the link will be her. in the show notes for everybody uh, mine yes. is also music related where I just learned I think on the Blank Check podcast they quickly referenced this and I'd never heard of it but do you guys know that in 1978, there was a film that was a musical that was just all of Sgt. Pepper's? Do you know yeah, what no, this I've never awful? Seen yeah. So it's Sgt. Pepper's, but they got to play the Beatles in this film, the Bee Gees. <laughs> wow. And it is horrific. And so, so are they 
are they like perf- like lip syncing to the original tracks or are the Bee Gees covering Sgt. Pepper's? That would be sweet. There's also other covers in there and it has like a roster oh, where wow. George Burns Weird. is like the evil mayor or something. And of course, uh, Aerosmith is in it. Earth, Wind & Fire, Alice <laughs> Cooper. Uh, and then, oh, wow. George Martin helped out with the music apparently. But Steve Martin's in it and he does a cover of Maxwell's Silver Hammer. And it's like a jokey cover. It is one of the worst things I've ever seen. <laughs> it sounds amazing. So bad. <laughs> so bad at all. Apparently, before the film's release, uh, Robin Gibb of the Bee Gees announced... Quote, there's no such thing as the Beatles now. They don't exist as a band and never perform Sgt. Pepper live in any case. When ours comes out, it will, in effect, be as if theirs never existed. Wow. Uh, <laughs> and then this that's film came out. Thing to say. Yeah, wow. and it's at like that, 12%. That's the plot of yesterday, isn't it? I think I so. Guess that's true. He wow, invented he kind of yesterday. You should get, yeah. a, you should get a, a screenwriting credit for that movie. <laughs> yeah, but it's at like 12% on Rotten Tomatoes, and it is abysmal. And the entire thing's wow. uploaded if you want to just scrub through it and see what a nightmare <laughs> this film is. But Is that the worst Beatles related thing? Or is there that's, a, that's a hard one to decide. Are you counting oh, Beatles? There's that animated yeah. show, which well, that was pretty rough, right? I think mm-hmm. the worst thing is their E3 press conference debut <laughs> for Microsoft where they're talking about Beatles Rock Band. And it's I, that's just, just any music video. Yeah, I don't know if you want to count that. That's oh, pretty rough, too. Oh, that's, that's incredible, though. That's I not, guess, that's yeah. <laughs> I'm it's so bad that it slips around the other <laughs> I am remembering, was it they played the Beatles Rock Band on stage at E3? Was no. that, or was it just Rock Band? It was pretty heinous. It's and rough, because they come out and it, it's It might just, not have been the Beatles game. No, so it's Paul and Ringo, and you can tell, like, well, we've done enough of this. We'll just chit-chat, and people will love us. We'll have a good time. So it's just coming, them coming out and trying trying to be loose and casual and just like talk to each other about how cool it is to be there. But uh-huh. just in that environment, it just feels dead and bizarre and you right. feel all the energy from the crowd just completely evaporate. And then people are just watching two go- old guys on a stage confused mm-hmm. about where they are. It, it sucks. Mm-hmm. That's every conference. Yeah. I guess point. that's true. Yeah, kind of true. true. <laughs> uh, Jason, did you have one? Yeah, sure. So get a load of this. Woo! So there we um, go. Oh, you I said don't know the about thing. you guys, I didn't but say the I, I don't know about you guys, but I really miss NFL football, um, especially. And I miss sports in general. I just, it's just not not something is off about not having sports right now. So one of the things that is happening is that ESPN every Monday night has been playing old Monday night football uh, broadcasts, which is wild. Like they're picking some of the best ones uh, a few weeks ago. It was like that crazy Chiefs Rams game from a couple from uh, 2017 or 2018. And um, like yesterday or two days ago, it was like Colts, uh, Colts Patriots in like 2005. And it's like a crazy throwback. It's just been a lot of fun to watch. But it's also really surreal because when you're watching, so they still have commercial breaks, but they also have these moments where like the broadcasters will throw to the studio for like some breaking news or a highlight of something that happened that day. But because these are old broadcasts and ESPN doesn't want you to think that they're live, they just don't do it. So you'll you'll be watching and it'll be like Al Michaels and John Madden, the commentators being like, and now to Chris in the studio for this. And then it's just silent for 10 seconds and you're just watching. <laughs> and you're just watching oh, this man. game and it's just silent as they're, as it's supposed to be the studio show, but it's oh, like dead air. And it is so crazy and fun to watch. So these games have been really fun to watch. I've been tuning in for like like a few minutes every Monday just to, to see what it's like. Um, I wish I could awesome. gamble on them, but sadly. <laughs> <laughs> That's perfect. Well, you could trick someone who hasn't seen one before. Like, right. Right. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> it's perfect. Uh, well, hey, thank you so much for joining us on this, epi- on this episode of the MinMax Show, everybody. We appreciate it.
Yeah, thanks sure. for having Our us. Pleasure. So yeah. Don't forget to check out Triple Click, the podcast. Yeah. yeah. Uh, first big episode outside of the intro. When's that airing? Uh, the Thursday. 23rd. Yeah, this Thursday. Oh, awesome. Mm-hmm. It'll be ready to go. And it's going to mm-hmm. be weekly? That's weekly. right. Thursday. Every Thursday. Awesome. We look forward to checking it out. Any, uh, any chance mm-hmm. of a video version by chance? Probably not. That's a lot of work, as you guys, I'm sure, know. <laughs> it's another layer. You might but... put the audio on YouTube if that counts. Okay, yeah, that's yeah. close enough. We'll take it. Cool. Again, Maybe. Uh... I don't know if we can even do that, but we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> I shouldn't make promises before. Well, I did say might. Might. There's a lot of weight on that might. Yeah. Yes, Got yes. it. Cool. We appreciate you swinging by. And thanks to MinMax's $50 supporters on Patreon. I am 8-Bit, Easygoing Gaming, Jawar Hello, Seth Walker, The Smack, Mark Seliga, Jesse Vitelli, Mirko Rico Torano, Zachary Pliggy, Ludwig Roque, James Smith, Steve Bamdad, David Lucci, Rob Hudak, Yaro, Michael Jacques, and Cameron Wardlaw. Thank you so much. And everybody, be good. Have fun. Let's go. Bye.